0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Subtitles on the only podcast about movies. And I always like to say this. It's not just about movies. It's about movies about writers and it's writers talking about the movie that was written by a writer. And in this case... It was written by a writer adapted from a book by another writer, and it's about a writer who teaches other writers. And when we watch the movie, we're two writers who are watching a movie that was written and reading what was wrote because the subtitles are on. That's the name of the show. Julia Pierpont is here with me today, and it's a little bit of a different episode for us. You know, we've been in the showbiz world a bit with most of these movies, but it is Wife Guy Week in terms of recording these episodes. I, of course, had one of my wife's friends on Wednesday to record, and now I have you, Julia, and Mm -hmm. you are very good friends with my wife, Grace, but you're also new york times bestselling
1: novelist i and bless grace she tells everyone i meet but yeah <laughs> that's
0: how you get introduced
1: yeah i pretend not to like it but she's the only one who'll say it so yeah no <laughs> you know. and
0: you need you need that friend mm-hmm. you need someone yeah. who'll go like
1: S- someone has to do it
0: this is why this person's impressive and i go oh so please stop. don't yeah <laughs> please don't <laughs> just treat them like a normal person you're meeting so you wrote a book called Among the 10,000 Things. Mm-hmm. Um it's very good. It's your novel. I read it recently, probably too late. <laughs> Should have read it before, but you I know, didn't reading know, a good book. So. You know what, now I've read it and I really enjoyed it and everyone should go read it. And you've done other things as well. And you are an editor at the New Yorker, is this accurate? A copy copy editor, editor, a little lower rung, but yeah. You're a copy editor at the New Yorker. Um, The Little Book of Feminist Saints. You have a cute little book called The Little Book of Feminist Saints. (laughs) It's
1: so cute, (laughs) Yes, it's illustrated. Mm-hmm. but not by me
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: um yeah and i teach much like michael douglas and in you this, teach in and this that's film.
0: important and this is and that's some of the questions i'm gonna have because we're talking about wonder boys and wonder boys is about a writing teacher a literary professor who wrote a big splashy book that people liked Like your book, and then also, and how long has it been since your book came out?
1: You know, a similar length of time as yeah, yeah. We're in the same boat, Michael Douglas and I.
0: The main drive in this movie is that his he had a big debut novel, and it has been seven years since it came Mm -hmm. out, and he's still working on his follow. I guess he
1: was a young protege seven years earlier. That is weird.
0: Yes, he was a wonder boy. um, Yes, that is strange. He is pretty old.
1: I was surprised that it's only his second book that is supposed to be coming out. I thought maybe, it is. In fact, but I thought maybe it was going to be you know his just this fourth book hit in some way. And yeah, I, you that know?
0: is having not so. I love the movie. We'll get into some more stuff about the movie, but I um, I had watched it. It came out in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had watched it. I guess like right after I you know around my senior year of high school or right after I graduated or something but I watched it when it came out and I I really enjoyed it I didn't remember much about it and I was surprised as I rewatched it I liked it again but there were so many things that I had wrong in my head much like you where I was like oh well he was like a very esteemed like super established right. guy who had like retreated into teaching but I didn't know that he was someone who had written one book at the age of what... How old is he in the movie? Right, I mean, yeah. He's, he's 50? Is, is that I, horrible?
1: Is that wrong? No, 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 I think no, no, no. I seems think right?
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, uh, you know what? We I got, meant to see how old me, Michael yeah. Douglas
1: actually was, but...
0: Um, yeah, I'm curious because it actually uh, matters a little bit. How, how old is Michael... When was Michael Douglas born? Okay. 44. He was born in 44. And this mm-hmm. came out came in 2000. 2000. Mm-hmm. So he's... Fifty-six years old. So they're saying that he had a debut novel at forty-nine. And they were like, "Look at this boy,
1: this (laughs) wonder boy."
0: Um. Yes. Yeah. He was a wonder boy at forty-nine. Which, by the way, I hope that's possible.
1: Yeah. No. I because that is my new
0: goal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've got a couple years then to become a wonder boy. This movie as I talk a little bit about our industry, my industry, the current state, although who knows, maybe you're gonna write TV and movies one day too. Never Do you think you
1: never. will? Uh, we'll see how this goes. And then... <laughs> yeah,
0: I know you wrote a pilot once with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's the exact kind of movie I miss that has totally disappeared from the like media landscape will never happen again. Like I, I did end of the tour with Allison, and it's like, you don't see as many of these movies, but you could make a movie like that. It's two people. It's kind of a, it's an A24 like small budget movie. It's more recent. And it's yeah, it like, that it's ago. even though it's just like two people and a writer interviewing a writer, it's like you could make it. This is a $55 million movie about a literature professor at a college, and it's like they shot it like four different campuses. They're like, it looks amazing. It's a great cast. It was the cast a is bomb. really deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah I it, mean, it was. I mean, financially, it was not a success. Yeah. But I guess it was at the time when DVD sales still like buoyed these things. I but definitely
1: rented it. Yeah, That's how I saw it. Yeah,
0: I watched it at home. So I, I, I just. I did get sad that I was like, I don't know what the scenario is where we ever see this kind of movie again. Yeah. Like movies about writers and professors and like newspapers. Like oh, yeah. used to it's, happen a lot more.
1: Well, the, the sets are gonna have to get like poorer and poorer. They're gonna have to also have a second job. You know, yeah. it's not it's not sustainable anymore. So it's like it would have to be uh, fantasy. Yeah. I guess. It
0: doesn't yeah, it's gotta be like an alternate timeline like yeah uh, of of the world
1: and I think Michael Douglas like took a pay cut I think I read that that he did this for less I'm sure sh- it sounds like every man involved in this movie fell in love with that character and identified with that character and was like we have to." oh make this yeah
0: you got to connect to Grady trip mm-hmm. excellent name <laughs> but it's like it's like this pleasant mid-budget thoughtful movie and I just don't know where it ever happens again and this is not what we're striking over but it is like part of mm-hmm. like you go like god this shit they really gutted this fucking business and, in a way where a director was directed by Curtis Hansen, who got his start writing movies. He wrote this movie called The Silent Partner that has like a really interesting, interesting history that I went to see at the New Beverly once where it was like written as some sort of like tax shelter scam where they had to film a movie in Canada in order to like- That was the plot or to, that was the actual- No, that was oh. the how the movie got made and it's like how oh, he wow. got his start, but it's and it's he, actually really good. It's, he
1: did LA Confidential?
0: So he did LA Confidential yeah. immediately before this and that's how this movie got made okay because it's like, uh, to borrow from our friends at the podcast, Blank Check, that was like a Blank Check movie for him where it was such a hit. That was like okay. What do you want to make? And he was like,
1: "This, yeah."
0: As you said, I think he probably fell in love with the professor from Wonder Boys, which was a Michael Chabon novel, um, and just was like, "I want to make this." And they were like, "All right, well, you've you've got credibility now. You can make it." And then he lost money, and then he made Eight Mile.
1: Oh Fucking. yeah, the sister film to to Wonder Boys.
0: Yeah, those two.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think it makes sense too because th- that he would want to do it. Partly it's so much about writing and, you know, yeah. you probably felt, and then coming off of a really big movie like LA Confidential, you know, this, this, feel this is like the follow up. It seems like everyone's having sophomore issues.
0: Yes, that's right. That he had, yeah, he had had his big hit. He had written his Arsonist's Daughter, which is <laughs> yeah. the book they keep bringing up. This is actually kind of interesting to me. You know, they changed. Oh, wait, he did. Uh, yeah, he did The Silent Partner, um, uh, which rocked. Um, and then I, I thought he had written another one that I knew. But anyway, um, no. so they changed the name from the novel. And in Sherman's novel, did you read it?
1: So no, but I have, I meant to, got a little busy, but I had the, I got the ebook and I have checked a few things against the movie yeah. to see if they changed it. Great. Um, I know they did change it, but I don't remember what it was, it was originally. In the
0: book, it was called The Land Downstairs. Hmm. And they changed it to the arsonist's daughter. My first question for you: Do you like it better?
1: Oh God, I guess I would rather write the land downstairs. Although, what is that? Mm-hmm. Um, arsonist's daughter sounds like it would sell more copies.
0: Yeah, anybody's daughter or wife. Yeah, and they talk about it like makes me think of American pastoral or something. But I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, what's the what? <laughs> What's the book that is the equivalent of this book? Like, what do we think of it? Like, there the must time have been something life. in mind. Yeah, the Time Traveler's Wife. I No, I don't. Yeah. It doesn't
1: make it sound like that great. But it was supposed like to that be great, like... The, the title, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't but know.
0: everyone talks about his book... They love ...where it. it's like... That it's like the most beautifully written, like, perfectly structured prose to ever exist. So inspiring. So, Why
1: they became writers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um...
1: Very it's, clever not to show us any it. doesn't of it. feel like Time Traveler's yeah, yeah. life, right? No, no, it it's it not. It's got to like. be, um, I don't know. Well, thank
0: God you never hear them read a line of it because no. that is like the biggest issue, which we talked about before on this show, like when there's a movie about a great artist, if they ever show you their art, you're like, right. but this, like, and, but I've seen art. Like yeah. when, it, you know, like uh, I've said it, be, but like whenever like there's like, a musician who's supposed to be like really great. like That's like why that thing you do is so good because that song sounds like a song that would be on the radio and, right, right? and they just have the one song.
1: And that's all you, yeah, that's, that's it. And don't so scratch like, the surface. Yeah. But like
0: a lot of times when it's like, and now they're gonna go see this band and it's like, this band's gonna be the next big thing. You're like, I don't right. it's not that good.
1: <laughs> and in fact, not to jump ahead, but when you do at the end of the movie, see him writing what turns out to be the story of this movie, he it's his the sentence is something like, As for me, I turned out okay. Yeah. yeah like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the, this is <laughs> who me. What well, I, I guess yeah. I
0: yeah. I had my bumps on the road, but so the novel was written by Michael Chabon. The movie was adapted by Steve Cloves. Sometimes when we're talking about a writer in a thing, I forget to talk about who wrote the movie. Mm-hmm. The movie was adapted by Steve Cloves, who's basically a professional novel adapter. So he oh, wrote all the Harry Potter movies, I saw except that for he one. Wrote, that's
1: so funny. Yeah. I but mean, he, like, he had
0: written one movie and then I think just got into the business of making books into movies. Um, he also is, has done The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime okay, as a yes. film. And um, uh, he wrote The Amazing Spider-Man, which I think was like the first Andrew Garfield one, which I also consider an adaptation of, of a novel. A graphic, graphic, that is. Um, uh, So let me ask you this, someone who has a novel. Would you want to adapt your own book into a screenplay? Would you be more comfortable with like a Steve Cloves doing it? Or would you want to do it yourself?
1: So I, when my book came out, I did have a period where I came out here. I met with a couple people. And I think I had such an inflated sense of the potential of what could happen that I think I was asked, do you want to try to ad- adapt it? And I said, no, no, someone else should. And no one did. <laughs> so I probably should have. But at the time, I thought someone else can bring something new to it. That well, and I, you they know, have and the
0: specific like, if they're from the world of screenwriting, they know the pitfalls. Exa- they know, yeah. And I would think it would be so hard to figure out what is extraneous what you can lose like I think like someone else looking at your yeah yeah
1: and not falling in love with your own prose that you want to put include a voiceover narration throughout you know yes 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 which is a problem that Happens well, a lot so in adaptations. Well, so many of these books yeah. that get
0: adapted. It's like there's so much VO because they're the if it was adapted by the author, they're like, "Well, this line is too good." Like we, you have to be inside the character's head in a way that you're really only supposed to be in a book.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you have to like you have to, to show that
0: at that level of detail. Okay, yeah. That I was, I was curious if you had because sometimes too, like when somebody has adapted their own book, you go like, I think. I think, one, mm-hmm. you were too into some of the stuff that you did. And two, you don't have the background to write dialogue for a movie. Like, it's just right, a different, right. seems yeah. Like a different yeah, skill Yeah, it's totally set.
1: different. And I kind of just thought, I feel like someone else coming in can see what's good about it and what take what's good and add new things. It's always going to hopefully mm-hmm. improve it. So that's why I thought someone else should do it. But then, you know... <laughs>
0: Yeah, they didn't. They haven't had a chance.
1: No, but you know, it's only been eight years. But I'll
0: say too about your book, which again I love. It is also in this realm of like it's this kind of it's like a sort of sprawling family drama. Like like yeah. it's like it's like a really long timeline, and it's like very into all. The, and I'm like, I don't know if they make movies like that. No. What was the one where they're all, I mean, what's the Jonathan Tropper one that everyone, This is Where I Leave You? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, that, that's made, the last I thing I can the remember. They did that, make it into the movie. They did, they did do that. I feel like friends and novels are surprisingly not adapted, cons- maybe for the same Nobody reason. Nobody even tried, yeah,
0: it seems like you know? the corrections at the time would have been oh, something wasn't they'd be it, like, This it was, has to be a movie. It
1: was certainly attempted. Uh, a a must few, have yeah.
0: been. Must have been. But like, yeah, I don't know. If I almost think maybe they
1: did do it. As like a series. Now that I'm,
0: the they did the corrections. Is that possible? Sounds great. I love it.
1: <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> say that they definitely didn't because I think that it's possible that they did. Kevin,
0: find out if they ever made the corrections into as a like series a, or a as movie. like an
1: HBO mini series or something. That's what
0: I'm feeling. But... I, I don't think so. No, maybe not. But but maybe I missed it. Um, but yeah, they don't really they don't do it as much anymore. Uh, but I'll, I'll even though they I'll, can now. I'll write you. Age... I've got some ideas. Oh,
1: would you? That'd be great.
0: <laughs> Super busy. The deal. I'm actually super busy, and I'm on strike. I see an article called Noah Bombac mm. explains why HBO dropped the ah, correction. There it is. Okay. okay, and that was the right person for it too. It,
1: it is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: You're in, and you're in a Noah Bombac film.
1: I'm. I'm a featured extra, much like um, Rob McElhenney <laughs> in Wonder Voice Yes, a it, extra. wasn't that funny
0: to see mm-hmm. him in the in the auditorium, and it's like so fast that you're like, is that him? Um, but you, uh, everyone goes like, oh, this novelist, she doesn't know anything about showbiz. Well, she's in The Squid and the Whale.
1: Yeah. What can I say? I was a student, played Also a student about a writer. At, well, I was a student at the time, so it wasn't uh, so hard.
0: Also about a writer. We should have done that. That's well. true. So let's get into the novelist before we go kind of scene by scene through the movie. Shabon. Yeah. Am I saying that right?
1: Uh, that's how I'll say it.
0: This was his first book. <laughs> It was inspired by a Carnegie Mellon professor who he mm-hmm. had, who had a 3000 page manuscript about being friends with Raymond Carver. Um, and to me, do you, I'd like to know if you have a take on him as someone from the world of words, what's your kind of like take on dude?
1: On Shabon? Yeah. You know, I really am on unf- from, otherwise I haven't really read his work. You, um, I only
0: read Cavalier which, and Clay. That's the only book of his I ever yeah, read.
1: Yeah, which I started and did not not like, like it's good, but I I had this preconceived notion that it was very much for boys. Uh-huh. Um, and I just never finished it. And that's, wow. that's how I know. I know.
0: Imagine I said that the other way. <laughs> so it's about I men's about... rights. <laughs> <laughs> This is a show. It's about, true. Okay. Um. No. Uh. I. I get that. It was like. Uh. Yeah. It was like this. Like sort of comic book world. And if that's I, that's not, not your a thing, fair assessment.
1: That's just where I was at the time.
0: No, 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 but I get how you would have that impression without getting really deep into it, but I read it, I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. I haven't read other stuff of his, he did one, like he did the like Yiddish Policeman's Union, yes. which uh-huh. looks interesting to me, and maybe I'll pick it up sometime, because it's sort of like a noir mystery thing, which I like, but.
1: And I think Mysteries of Pittsburgh, that was his first book, and that feels different, I oh, think, okay. it's much more like, I think it's like a coming of age kind of. Not okay. a genre. I think he's gotten more into different experimenting with genres, which is interesting. But
0: well, he's to, so here's my take on him, which is obviously he's a great writer, he's a great novelist. I'm of two minds where there's a way in which he's kind of a sad cultural figure to me because it's like the state of writing and books is such. That this guy, who is one of the only important, like, know by name novelists we have, is like trying to get a Star Trek show off the ground and is like, right, like, he was like running Star Trek Picard and then, like, uh, and then is also like writing lyrics for, um, who's what I have the specific down here, R- wrote lyrics for a Charlie Puth song that was no. not released. He also no. wrote. How do
1: you know that that's publicly available? Yeah, Yeah. he
0: helped out with the (laughs) lyrics for nine of the 11 tracks on the Mark Ronson album.
1: How does that even come to pass?
0: Two that he didn't work on was Uptown Funk. (laughs) And that that has to sting. Yeah. So, but I do think, like, on the, I'm like, I can't tell if it's like, this is how fucking bad working in literature is, like, and how grim it is now that it's like, you got to go fucking do a Star Trek show or something If you want to stay afloat Or is it like Jimmy Butler Being a ball boy at the US Open Where it's just like this guy's just like I want to try this Like I like music and you know All these other people like my shit Like Mark Ronson's a fan of my books Like well maybe we can I like songs That's maybe I can nice write together
1: on it But yeah. I feel like it's the first thing
0: That it's just like It's, it's the This it's is so the creme dire. de la creme
1: that we have And this is what's available
0: This is what we have done to our authors that yeah. they like have to figure out a fucking side hustle if they want to mm-hmm. be able to keep writing books. Yeah. Um, well, that sucks. <laughs> uh, I like to think that it's what he's doing is fun, but I guess not.
1: No, I, be- I bet he is having a good time.
0: Um, all right. We're, I'm going to go into the movie. Uh, one more thing I'll say. Toby Maguire, young Toby Maguire is in this movie and... Something I know about Tobey Maguire, and obviously, people remember that there was like a big scandal around like the uh poker games that he was involved
1: in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and um, they're in Sorkin's No, no, else. no, this is like
1: okay.
0: Jesus <laughs> Christ,
1: that's why I th- thought you we were going, I, 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 but
0: I is that not what it's so, called? So, for every so everyone knows, Julia texted me seven or eight times before the show. Can I talk about the pussy posse? <laughs> I said I don't think we're going to get into it. I don't think it's going to come up. She's like book. I really have a lot to say about the pussy posse. <laughs> She's like did you know Kevin Connolly was in the pussy posse? <laughs> I said I, it's not my it's not my place. Did you know Lucas Haas was actually sort of the leader? I, I, but I'm like Oh yeah. <laughs> did you but I yeah. said I really don't want to talk about that I just want to tell this one poker story okay, and she let's... said we'll see
1: I'm gonna get it in there
0: so what I know is like uh I, I know people who played with him and said that he was like an excellent poker player and obviously Molly's game like the Michael Sarah characters based on him and I guess he's sort of cold-blooded but the other thing He may have had to pay some fines or something, which was fine. But part of like why he even started to make fewer movies, I believe, is because insanely rich businessmen from around the world like wanted to play poker against Spider-Man. Oh, wow. After the fucking Spider-Man movie came out, it was like just like whatever european and like chinese billionaires were just like we you know we want to play spider-man and like heads up poker and they would get these games that people would fly in who play super high stakes like nosebleed poker, and made millions of dollars doing it from what i'm told
1: oh my so he's good or he's He's paid for the appearance the
0: people i know who played in like leo's game and stuff are like he's the best Player, I've I've ever played with like he's he's supposed to be really 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 good um so what I want to say is this underlines the importance of film how as a great as this is our this used to be our country's most important export to the world that the things we made in Hollywood were so impactful and had such a Made such an impression on the culture of the entire uh, planet that toby mcguire could retire from movies to play poker against. It's a <laughs> like cameo, though. That. It's like, <laughs> <yeah>. it's like <laughs> so, a very
1: high level cameo that he's doing for yes, people.
0: Yes, it's yes, a service. But we need, but we need film to thrive. So that these opportunities can exist to for finally our get stars. out of the game. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that people can stop and make room for new stars. Anyway, uh so the movie opens on uh Michael Douglas, Grady Tripp, uh reading a student's story in VO. Then his narration VO cuts in on the VO of him reading the Elegant. story. Yes. And there's a couple times, especially early on in the film, and this is something I, I, I wondered that I, this is my own theory about why it was like this, because it is sort of jarring that it's like it's his voice reading and you can't see him. Then as soon as you see him, it's his voice talking about his voice reading. I, I think that it was a little bit of a commentary. And then when Katie Holmes starts talking too, he cuts it on her as well. And you can't hear what she says. And it's used much less throughout the film. And I think it's sort of Tamir at the beginning. It's like how detached he is and how he's not experiencing anything that it's all and a little bit of like a commentary maybe on the mind of a writer where they're like evaluating and contextualizing and um, sort of collecting what their take is on everything that occurs without rather than actually experiencing and engaging with the people who are in the room with them. Um,
1: Yeah, the students are very um, not heard from in that except for one girl who says, like, why do you have to be so goddamn Catholic or something? And that's the only read we get on his big laugh. They love it. They're so mean. That's not what workshops were like for me. Everyone was very quiet.
0: Yeah. So that was a question I had. So he's leading this class where the students are like very vicious and giving each other notes. And like you teach, obviously, and you've been in these classes. So like, what are the dynamics like? Like, like within that, like, are people? You're saying they're not that mean. Are they usually going not. at things with notes? Like, I
1: well, you usually do try to start with the positive,
0: right? Right, 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 right. Um, it's the it's the sort yeah. of yeah. Well, that's true in like whatever. When anybody sends you a script, yeah. like, and I've talked about this, like, and even the executives who sometimes will drive you crazy at these companies are like so much great stuff. We had a joke. Have I said this already about um, how <laughs> they would always pick a line and it became like so clear that they were doing this? I must have told this story that they'd say like if let's say you had a joke and let's say like what's with you fucking Catholics was like your big laugh line and think they'd be like amazing script. So, so much good stuff. We've been walking around the office saying <laughs> saying, saying what's with you fucking Catholics all week. Um, so it always starts that way, and Mm -hmm. then you get into like all the issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was funny to me. Uh, but this like this is, I guess, symbolic. Like, it's supposed to be on the nose, and you're just supposed to know they don't like Toby McGuire. Yeah, and I think I think, and it's the jealousy. But this is
1: also part of why, for a number of reasons, I assumed going into this, I don't think I thought this when I saw it in high school because what I didn't know. But now I assumed. It was an MFA program. He's such a high level writer. Yes. That he would be teaching graduate students who are heading into a professional direction as opposed to undergraduates who are kind of just still seeing if they like writing at all. Yeah. Um, and he seems to have a remarkably advanced class
0: of undergraduates. Right. Well, he has one writer who's very special.
1: But Katie Holmes, too.
0: Katie Holmes is the only one who gets him, right? Like she's like, the whole class is mean to Toby Maguire. Then Katie Holmes is like, here's what he's actually trying to mm-hmm. do with his story. And everybody's like, you know, well, the students are ignoring her, but Grady Tripp is like, you're smart. So yes, she's she's good too. Although ultimately she's on an editor track. But
1: that's, that is, <laughs> can I just say, that is so funny to me because he mentioned, this is one of the things I checked against the book. Um, he says at one point in passing that Katie Holmes has had two stories published in the Paris Review.
0: Yeah, which is a big deal, huh? A
1: pretty big deal. Pretty and I thought, hard. I thought to myself, I wonder if in the book, it's like the Kenyan Review. And it's still a good yeah. review, but it wouldn't translate in film. No, it's still the Paris Review in there. And an undergraduate with two stories in the Paris Review, maybe I'm just who's jealous. The, who's the but second
0: like, best writer in the class.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who <laughs> turns out not to have a future in writing. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's um, pretty that's pretty And elevated. and also
1: who he seems throughout Grady seems sort of jealous of Toby Maguire's character and yes. not of her, which is sort of interesting. Right. You know?
0: Yes, yeah. Because yes, Toby Maguire seems to be like he's like the uh-huh. the genius in the class. Yeah,
1: very impressive undergraduates at this at this institution.
0: Um yeah, so when you're teaching, I want to talk a little bit about class dynamics. Um w- because we We get into this, like, he has these two special students. Do you ever have, like, a special student? Like, have you, is it just, like, this person gets it? Like, this is the person who's good? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've had that. Yeah. And then
0: how do you deal with that? Like, what is your approach? I know. Because he's so clearly, like, he's so not subtle about being like, you're smart, you get it. <laughs>
1: like, right, right, right. And I think even he says later in sort of a come to Jesus moment, he's having, or he's talking about teaching and he says something like, well, you encourage the one, you can't really teach writing, but you encourage the ones that are good. Yeah. And you encourage the ones that are bad because it's the only way they're going to get anywhere anyway. So you mm-hmm. just encourage. um, And you do do that in class. And I think I've like, I've had students where I think, oh, the the voice is just there. Or they, you know, they, yeah. they're young, but like if they wanted to, they, I they feel can like do they this, could. Yeah. who am I to say who couldn't also, yeah. you know? But I've definitely had, I remember having a conversation with one student who privately, and I kind of tried to tell her privately, like, yeah. no, like you can really do it. And she said, really? Because it's really hard to tell because I feel like everyone is told that. <laughs> you know, in right. class, every in creative writing, everyone gets an A pretty yeah. much, unless you don't show up. That's all, you I mean, you have to read each other's work and stuff, but it's not It's not like math where you're, I'm not supposed to grade on Performance,
0: right, right, in a, right. In a
1: strange way, um, so you do oh, kind of. You're not
0: grading on whether or not they are talented. Not it's really. Just like I they try to a little bit, but I don't
1: think you're really supposed to. Yeah, um, that's interesting. So, so you kind of have to do it sort of in conversation in an informal setting, you know?
0: Yeah, it's so, very
1: odd because you're not you're not you're not taxing anyone for not having just natural God given talent. Whereas in math or science, I would say maybe you are.
0: Well let I mean let's talk about that. I I wrote down that um we we are skipping ahead but because it's in the same conversation like uh that scene where he does say like okay yeah he says uh nobody teaches a writer anything. You tell them what you know, you tell them how to find their voice and stay with it. You tell the ones that have it to stay with it. You tell the ones that don't have it too, that's the only way they're going to get where they're going. Yeah. Even if where they're going is ultimately to give up on writing. What do you feel can be taught? Because like, I'll come at this from, I was a sketch and improv teacher for a while. So I did teach some writing and also uh, taught improv. And it's, it's similar, I think, where sometimes, God, it's such a fucking relief when you're like doing improv, which like, largely Mm -hmm. suck anyway and like even but just when someone comes in and they have like a really clear funny idea and Mm -hmm. they're able to like deliver it and like kind of like set the stage for other people to succeed you're just like oh thank god because then you can
1: teach better because you can go
0: like okay this is what we're talking about you know what i mean like they serve as an example because there's another thing too where it's like you don't want to Especially in that context, you get stuck in this situation uh, of going, here's what I would have done <laughs> like right. to make yeah. that funny. We're going like, OK, stop like this. You just blew past the moment in the scene where you could have turned it into a functional comedic scene. Here's how I would have done it. Yeah. And like. If people are doing that, yeah. it, oh, well, it just sucks. Like, it's like you also have to be then like doing improv and like saying like how you would do a funny scene and hoping they find it And that's it hard funny. to
1: then for them to replicate because it's such an, a particular moment,
0: you know, unless yes, they see yes. the
1: overarching reason behind it.
0: But it, yeah, but to me, it was like you need an example of like what would be successful or else you don't you yeah. don't know the difference. And uh, and I When a student could do it, it was like, great. See what they did. Here's why we like what they did. Here's why that, you know, here's why that worked. Here's how the scene progressed from there and all the options that you had. And then um, I will say that in terms of encouraging the people that don't like it, there are sometimes people, sometimes the people who are most passionate about it, you're like, you're not going to do (laughs) that. And at UCB, they the old uh kind of way they would teach improv stuff was like there are no wrong choices. Whatever you do, like that's 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 valid because it's improv and it's this free flowing yeah. art form. And the thing that was revolutionary about like what, you know, uh Besser and Walsh and Ian and Amy like kind of I think got into was they did say there are wrong choices. There are yeah. things like if there's and I've heard Besser say like if there are no wrong choices, how can I possibly improve? Like, and I think it must be similar in writing where it's just like, you're, you know, you're writing, it's your voice, it's how you see it. But it's like, no, there has to be some kind of like, this is better, like, Mm -hmm. this is how you find a structure. And so I think that was like a cool revolutionary idea. And I think that they were able to kind of find some ways uh, to get people to do scenes that did work and didn't just feel like so loose and so random that there was nothing to it. Right. But at a certain point, Mm. you have to be funny. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know, you can teach people how to like do something that is structured more like a comedic Mm -hmm, scene. mm -hmm. But I don't think you can teach someone to be funny. Yeah,
1: that's fair. I think that's true for writing too. I mean, with writing, you have the advantage of I can show them this is a, a story and say, "Look at what they did here. Look at these lines. Read really closely." That's something we did in grad school. That uh-huh. for a time in grad school, I thought I'll never write again because yeah. I always had all these ideas in my head about you. You suddenly become aware of what the writer is doing and how much they're doing when it's going well. Yeah, um, which ultimately you forget when you're actually writing or you don't actively think about, but you know it in the back of your head. Hopefully, mm-hmm. so we have that to to use and to show. And then I think the other thing that I try to do is just say, like, make them really aware of everything being a choice that they're do- making. Like, right? The just, you started writing, what point of view was that? That was a choice. You start, you know, everything, because I think that's a big part of, a big thing for, like, young writers is sort of missing, on, missing out on, that they've already made, like, seven choices on the first sentence that they didn't even really realize they've made. And, yeah. like, are those the right choices? So that, but yeah, you can't, the thing about fiction that's great usually is um, I think in, in my in my MFA class, we called it like yes moments or mm-hmm. moments where you want to say like yes in the margins of the page because it's such a true moment or a moment you identify with. Mm-hmm. It's an observation that feels real that you thought but never articulated. Yeah. And some people are going to have those and some people aren't. And that's kind of, that yeah. you can't. Teach.
0: Well, that's true. That yeah. I mean, and that's true in comedy yeah, too, yeah. right? Where it's like so much. It's like the truth in comedy and like yeah, the things that exactly. are relatable. And in improv, especially, the choice that really resonates with me because they would you, you get a lot of people who are acting students
1: yeah, and have, are right. used to
0: doing scene work, and you have to go when you're doing a scene,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you go. Oh well, the difference between improv and doing a scene in a play or something is that the words have been decided already in the scene, and it's like, well, no the words have been decided, the setting has been decided, how you know the other character has been decided. Like it's like your location, like all of those things are choices that have been made already. And when you step out to do an improv scene, no choices have been made. You have to provide all of that. You have to let people know where you are, how you know each other, how long you've known each other, what you're doing, like how you feel about it. Like all that stuff has to be picked. And you have to figure out what the words right. are. Right. And, and probably so, they don't
1: make those decisions because there's so many. And no. Yeah. You know, and, so, and so you kind of try to skirt by without firm choices. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and so and so it sounds like for for writing a novel, obviously, it's the same where it's like whatever you do, like there's all these choices that have to be in place. And it's I feel like in comedy in sketch writing and in um sometimes even in they talk about uh, in writing like a a uh, sitcom scene or something like oh, there's too much pipe or there's too much exposition or whatever mm-hmm. where it's like when characters are just explaining all this context stuff because it's like the audience needs to know it, mm-hmm. and you're not able to like bury it elegantly, like ideally, you know, two people are having an argument, right the argument's kind of funny, and in the bickering, you're starting to get information right it that comes it doesn't feel
1: like expository, yeah, yeah,
0: but sometimes I also do feel like especially in improv and sketch, it's like if you just tell me everything I need to know in the first two lines and then the scene's really funny because I know all the stuff I need to know. At the end of the scene, I'm not going to be like that first line was clumsy. Yeah, that's true. Um, So there is something to like, whatever, just like make the choices. And if you can't find an amazing way to make the choices, still make the choices.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Um, So anyway, I was... uh, I was curious about that, like what it is like when you're teaching and like finding a special student. And then obviously there is this whole thing of like his jealousy or like competition a little bit with Toby Maguire. And I wondered if you ever feel that, like if you ever had any kind of like whatever, like, oh, this person seeing somebody who's it's like, God, you're good at this. And you're like yeah. so young and you already have your
1: thing right, and you're right, like gonna, right. yeah. just gonna I mean, do it. Does that mostly, ever come up for you? I, I do feel like I'm very proud of the students that have like reached out to me about like, I got this thing and mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And it, I think I, it's so great. And I and I feel good that I encourage them. Mm-hmm. But um, you do think like, oh, I I wish I knew what I know now. And I was your age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that feeling for sure. Um, But they also... Don't know that yet either, probably. Well, yeah, and it's
0: and there's some stuff where it's like, I can't you're gonna have to make these mistakes. (laughs) Like I can tell you that. People did tell me.
1: People told me the things and I thought okay, okay, I'm not taking that into I won't know that yet though, even if you tell me.
0: Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, people tell you and you go like, but that won't happen to me. Totally. Um, Yeah. I had a like I had a showrunner who I worked on two different shows with. And when he was doing the second show, he was telling me, I'm not going to make friends with the cast this time. Now, as a writer who works at TV at movies and stuff, you go, well, part of the fun is you're yeah, right. like friends with actors, of right? Course. Like famous people. And he was like, I'm not going to make friends with them. And I was like, really? And he was like, you're their boss. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to like cut a scene that they don't want you to cut or change something or ask them to do something or like, or they get their part gets reduced or they get yeah. fired, or whatever. Like, and it's so hard when you've established this, like, we're all friends, personal relationship. And it's not like you're running a show. It's like you're running a fucking company. Like, these yeah, are you employees. have to listen to me ultimately. Yeah. And uh, and it's like too awkward. And it was so interesting to me. And then since I've worked on other shows and I've watched people get really, really close to the cast and been like, I think you don't want to do this. (laughs) And I've seen it over and over again. Like, it doesn't matter what you tell people. Like, they have to do it. Totally. And then later, they will come to you and go, you were correct. Yeah, that was a
1: mistake. (laughs) How do I walk this back?
0: And by the way, if I ever get my own show, I'm certain I will do the thing that I've told people not to do, that I've seen go wrong, but it's just like, it's so exciting.
1: (laughs) You will be having a Friendsgiving
0: with your cast. And then if I get another one, I will have learned. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: No, I had a, I had a, a writer, novelist tell me it was like the period where my book had sold and not come out yet, and she said, write as much as you can right now because once it's out and you have like feedback, it's going to be so much harder to write. And mm-hmm. I thought, I said, yes, thank you. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm resting. And it was. I should have. I was it was I was much freer then, I think, in some mm. ways. So
0: Yeah, now you're yeah. evaluating everything against yeah, how people uh, responded to your thing, what people have told you your writing. Much is, like Grady. Something. It's it is it is like Grady. Um, and then I think the last question I have about the sort of student dynamic for you is like, have you ever had a particularly difficult student or like somewhat like because there is In this, there's like some animosity between the students and there's like they're noting each other. Mm -hmm. And like, have you ever dealt with someone who just felt like it was off or they were like very combative with
1: you? Yeah. Yeah. Not with me, but with each other about in workshop, like coming sort of with gloves off and maybe not. Usually I don't even agree with their assessment and Mm -hmm. then just, yeah, trying to walk it back live in the moment because you don't want the student who wrote the story to feel um, attacked or right. especially if it's not correct but not attacked and either way there's an there's a more tactful way to to yeah. go about it but yeah I've definitely um I've definitely seen that um and often I feel like it's like how to make this more commercial I feel like that I've I've seen that in workshop
0: yeah yeah like yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, leaving
1: yeah. Room for a sequel or something insane like that right you
0: know? for like a short story yeah 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 exactly <laughs> <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, what's the poster look like? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like um Yeah, I have uh well, one thing is like when I say that I've I've been put in the position sometimes of having to give examples of what I think a scene could be. I did have one student who like really started to fight where I was like, Hey, you kind of I think at this moment in the scene you could have made this choice and then we would have had a game to play. Mm-hmm. So you're always looking for like what's the game mm-hmm. and I was like, and then you could have said this and you could have said this. And he just turned and he's like, that shit's not fucking funny to me. Like all that stuff you said.
1: Oh, okay then. (laughs) I'll leave. And it was so,
0: I was like, I felt so mad. And I was like making a little note on the thing of like, OK, OK. And I was like, well, and, you know, really trying to be like, well, it doesn't really matter whether you find my choice funny. It's just the kind of idea that could make a scene that you could play. It could play, be something else. But yeah. so badly wanting to be like, that's. I, it's not on trial whether I'm funny or not. <laughs> like, right, right, right. I, I'm teaching the class. Like, you're never going to do this. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah.
1: That's also, I, th- I think another thing that happens a lot in, in writing is, Inevitably, a student will turn in a piece that is really autobiographical, uh-huh. and then you get people saying, "I don't find this character likable," uh, and then you get into a whole mess of like suddenly it's a therapy session, and you know they're calling, they're saying this person is a snob or this, you know, i they don't like the character, and then you're you're in this weird position of having to kind of you're aware yeah. it seems like no one else in the room is aware that yeah, this how is them, you, not? No. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so that's so funny. Uh, I had the one other thing is like when I was doing like these sketch read throughs, there was this one (laughs) there was this one guy who would bring in these sketches and they would just be things that happened. And it would be like, you know, a really aggressive suit salesman trying to get him to buy a suit. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, come on, you look great in this suit. And I would go like, well, comedically now, like maybe it should become almost absurd where he's saying like the suit will give you special power or all the very specific scenarios that will happen to you if you wear this you wear this suit and you go home and then your 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 mom will tell you that you're actually adopted and you need to meet your real parents just like and then they will tell you that you're a prince and you're (laughs) you know like because like this suit is for royalty whatever fucking thing and he would go like but this really happened
1: oh no (laughs) yes that is another thing yeah
0: but this but, but this I can't, guy really said this. I can't he, deviate yeah.
1: from the facts.
0: I mean, he really told me <laughs> that this was the best. That this I was the best uh, suit wearer he'd ever seen. And It was like right, <laughs> but yeah. but now we are doing sketch right. comedy, <laughs> and I love that this happened. Yeah. And now let's imagine. If something funny had happened as well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yeah, uh,
0: that's really hard sometimes to get people to walk, and I'm guilty of it. And when I write things that are, oh like yeah, you end own. up not in a sketch scenario, but like in anything that's like real and authentic. Well, it's like, another this thing is authentic, th- and it's like, but it's boring,
1: <laughs> right? And you realize then you're not making the choices again because you're just using the choices that were made for you because it's a true story. Yes, and then exactly. you go, oh, that wasn't really dramatically um, correct.
0: Okay, so that's all the student stuff. Now I have another <laughs> question just for you. So we meet Robert Downey Jr. He picks him up at the airport. He's his editor. What I wanted to know is you've had an editor. What is the writer editor relationship like? like mm-hmm. is it does this feel like it gets this right at all? Like how close they are? Yeah, their friendship and their like sort of a knowledge of each other's personal lives and all of this. Is this how it is? I in was that world? I
1: never have been that intimate with an editor yeah. um as as they are in this but you definitely have to have a closeness. I remember when I was I sort of shopped my book around and met with a few editors and mm-hmm. you sort of hear what they want to do to it and a lot of they everyone has a different opinion because it's so subjective and I, there was a part of the book that I felt like uh, wasn't the best and I had kind of thrown a rug over it mm-hmm. and said like yeah this yeah. is a solution for that, right? And he was the only editor who said, "What about the hole in the floor under that rug?" You know, like he knew exactly the part that I had struggled with the most, and that's when I thought, "Okay, you're my you're my editor, right?" Um, and so and there was a point where I had to change a lot. It took me forever, and he had me. Um, he was at at the offices in Random House in like Midtown, and he m- reserved a little conference room for me. And I came physically in just to write to edit, so that I could stick my head out and say to him. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Like what? Yeah. Remind me again what the problem is because I couldn't like re- somehow I was having such a hard time retaining
0: I always think knowledge are problem. so big that I can't imagine like I, I just that that I'm sure I would feel that way if I ever tried to do it where it's like wait, in the context of everything else that exists and all these different characters and timelines and yeah, like, right. sort of scenes what do I need to solve and what do I need to be careful of? Right. He
1: would explain it to me in person. I'd say, got it. And then I'd go home and say, I don't know what, what <laughs> was I listening? Yeah. What, I don't know what to do here. So that's how he eventually he was like, you should just come in and be there. I, I so know. that, that is like a very that reliable.
0: That you know. makes sense to me. But just on like being like, what am I supposed to be doing? I know, like I started out doing sketch, which are three pages. Mm-hmm. Then I started doing pilots, which are like 30 pages. And I got to the point where like, am I, if I'm in a pilot, I know everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. But now if I've tried to write like a film that's like 100 pages, which by the way, novels are whatever, 500 pages, 600 pages, or you know, in Grady's case, 2,000, I'll be like, wait, this affects this other thing that happened 60 pages ago that like, right. I totally got The continuity forgot. is like, hard To too. keep all of it in your head at the same time, for me, even with a 100-page script, I go like, I can't actually hold it all at once, at least on the initial, like, walk through it. Like, I just reread something where I, like, spent, underlined something so much to set it up of, like, make sure you mention this at the dinner. Like, just, like, and then, like, read the dinner scene. And I was like, it didn't come up. Like, <laughs> but it was just, like, oh, right. Yeah. Um, so I think that I, I relate to that, and that is where an editor, I guess, would be crucial. Yeah. Because, like, you have a set of eyes who's, like, not, doesn't have to do it.
1: Right. Who's just, going
0: like, I just know where everything is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I I would push back sometimes because sometimes I felt like, I don't know, I just pushed back because it was hard, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um he would say, the thing he said to me that is like the killer thing that an editor should say to any writer when they want you to do what they want, what to get them to do what you want them to do is, um well, you can do whatever you want. I just don't want the reviews to say what I'm telling you. And you're like, I'm going back in my hole. I'm going to go oh, do this now. Nasty. Okay. Yeah, it's pre- but he was right. he was right. You know, I'm glad Yeah. It. Yeah, I needed it. But um yeah, it's so yeah, it, I think it gets pretty close.
0: Um okay, so then uh we go to the party at the Chancellor's house. Um you have worked at a few different colleges. Do you get caught up in the university politics at all like this? Like no. of, <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I'm
1: also I've been, I worked at like NYU and Columbia and they're like in you know there's no campus for NYU and
0: That's so much you of know. this, right? That it's like they're all he's like living on campus basically yeah. and he's like a tenured like living I professor. I
1: think that seemed very believable from a layman with no experience in that world. I feel like you do end up the social circle becomes so small and
0: Every there is yeah. a festival
1: that weekend, so everyone is doing the festival. You, if know? you
0: all live in buildings on like this one sort of big field. Like it yeah. feels like you're all gonna know, you know. Yeah, uh, it seems right. The same people and see the same people. Yeah, I just was curious. So we find out that Francis McDormand is pregnant, um, and she is married to his boss and she's yeah. pregnant with his kid. That's just plot stuff. Then uh, we have some scenes that I really like that are like snippets of bad party conversation, uh, where it's like the dude, her husband, is like holding court about how every woman wants to be Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. This is uh, his only
1: character trait; is he's obsessed with Marilyn Monroe, and um, he's obsessed with Marilyn Monroe.
0: Joe DiMaggio's marriage, yes, that's Mm -hmm. right. And so he's like, yeah. But I do, I always like, and it's like very fun, the idea of writing this kind of scene where it's just like you only meet this person being like, well, Joe DiMaggio embodied mm-hmm. the idea of husband as slugger. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I can like, imagine being next to this guy at a party. Yeah, I
1: understand why she's leaving him. <laughs> yes. Uh,
0: then we meet uh, Q that's ripped towards character. He's like this novelist who just turns out a book every 18 months yeah. and is like um, sort of like a great nemesis and has such a I mean, Rip towards amazing and like it's you just can feel what it's like to deal with this guy. Immediately I know where he he's may- sort of warm and complimentary. But
1: he's actually quite nice yeah. to, to, to Grady. Yes,
0: that's kind um, of what's funny of yeah. like having an enemy. It's like the Mad Men meme, right? Of like, I feel sorry for you. I don't think about you at all. Like it's like mm-hmm. Grady's not a threat to him. Yeah. Like, but Grady is threatened by him. Right,
1: right. And he's just like, oh. I love your book, by the way. Yeah. You know? oh, he felt yeah. like Salman Rushdie to me. Maybe that was just the um, physicality.
0: Four or five times somebody says, I'm rereading Arsonist's Daughter.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, so many people are reading it's it again. So, it's yeah. so
0: brutal in a way of like, you haven't done anything else. So we're so going when, back. when I talk to you, I have to talk to you about this other yes. thing. Um, but yeah, it's really funny. So, uh, Michael Douglas escapes the party. He goes out to smoke weed and someone congratulates him on his, uh, his first novel while someone else says how long it's been. Um, and I wondered if this, you've obviously been to some of these like literature parties, right? Mm-hmm. I know you have been in this mm-hmm. like college world, but yeah, where it's all authors. Is this the feeling like... For me at like parties with like a bunch of like whatever UCB or comedy writers, there's always this like, so what are you working on? Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of quiet competition or like judgment. That's yeah, happening. I think
1: it's probably similar. Um, there's definitely I think that was one of the reasons I left New York after my yeah. book came out. Is I was like, I can't go to these things anymore and always feel like everyone's comparing notes and you come here. And you say you're a writer and then they think it's screenwriting or something. And when you tell them it's a book, they go like, oh,
0: great, we don't care about you. So it 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 feels- For me, I'm like, that's cool. That's interesting. But it's it's not not like um,
1: I'm not in competition with them
0: here. Yes, that's nice. Um, (laughs) So
1: there's that. Um, I think
0: like uh, it can feel pretty aggressive like when people are asking what you're working on. And I think that I have a thing that has even come up On this show, I'll often talk about like, I tried to write this thing once, or I wrote, you know, like, or I, and when you talk about something, and as you talk about, I'm sure with some of these people, you talk about like the new novel you're working on. When you talk about something that you're working on that no one has seen yet, for me, I assume that they think it's bad. Sure. (laughs) like. When I go like, I'll like tell a story from something, I'll go like, and i tried to, you know, tried to sell a pilot about this or I wrote a thing about that. And I feel like I bring up those stories on this show. And then in my mind, the listeners go, well, it must not have been very <laughs> good <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see it. And also, oh, yeah, I do it to people, too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. where yeah. it's like, well, maybe it didn't sell because you fucking did do a good mm. job. Wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um,
1: no, I definitely that. And then also I, if I'm currently working on it, I usually like it less after I've talked about it to someone or I'm sure. like, oh, now I'm really not excited about this. Cause I just, well, there's vocalized that famous it.
0: psychological study too, right? Of oh, like no. If you talk, if what? you talk about a project you're working on and you like explain to someone like what you're doing, it gives you the same feeling as if you had done more work on it.
1: I wish I'd known that years ago. And so you
0: could get trapped in this thing. So I have when I'm like in the middle of something, I will barely talk about it. Or somebody says, I'll be like, I'm doing this. Yeah. But I'll never get into any specifics or like what I want to do next or anything, because um, I do find it true that the more I talk about something I'm planning on doing or working on, the less work I get done. Mm -hmm. But if I haven't done anything, then I need to get it finished. Yeah. So that I can show it to someone so I can talk about it. Right, right,
1: right. That's a really, I did not know that that was scientifically proven. Um, yeah. I've definitely felt it and never understood why, but then now, now I'll know.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it actually has helped me finish things to be like, I'm not allowed to talk about it until yeah. I've actually done it. And then I want to talk about things. So I'm like, now nah, this will make me do it. So uh, he finds Toby Maguire in the snow holding a gun. Uh, um they have this great exchange where Tobey Maguire talks about going to see an old movie with Katie Holmes and Grady Tripp goes like, one of the actors goes like, they went crazy. And then Toby Maguire says like, this other actor went crazy too. And then Grady goes, sounds like a good one. And like the movie is good because two of the actors right, lost yeah. their minds. Um, I just like that idea. Not because
1: of the movie. Although. Yeah, it's so
0: like casual. It's like, sounds like a good one. Wasn't bad. Um, <laughs> we learn that uh James Lear, Toby McGuire's character, another pretty good name, writes yeah. incredibly fast. An hour. Yeah. Um, and then like we get into this weird, like overly familiar relationship between them. And I wondered. I don't think you are a professor like this. Did you have a professor like this who mm. was like too no awareness? Michael Douglas has no boundaries. Yes. He has a student who lives with him. He's like that, James in his car. Like
1: I can't get over that Katie Holmes lives in his house. And the idea yeah. that his wife was there, too, until today. Yes. I don't know what that household looked like. Um, um Yeah. But yeah, I think I think it's, you know, you've. Teachers are going out drinking with this. I mean, this is. I was in grad school though, so yeah. it is different. No, nothing like this in college. Yeah, in grad school, it's a little bit more accepted, I think.
0: Yeah, I, although and it's still, I, I wonder if it's different. I think, and I'm. I, I may be totally wrong. If it's specific to to like the literary, and also in my experience, the theater world. Oh yeah, where it's like we're all you know we're creatives, and so it's like more normal to like go over to the home of your professor for some sort of like salon type yeah. Like discussion. Yeah. And there's this step
1: between the like fiction writing world and the theater world, which is the poets. We had poets in our program too. And okay. they were, they were the real raucous ones. And I remember I did early on in grad school, go out with them one night drinking, because I thought like, I'll be friends with poets, yeah, you know, interesting. and cool. um, didn't happen. But um, I remember one of them said to me, what are you doing with us? You have so many pages to write. Like, you have to be home. We can, like, you know, we have much less um, actual words to put out. And I thought, oh, I better leave. But, yeah, I, I think it's very, um, the lines get really blurred. It's it, Drinking yeah. is, like, a part of it. We bring wine to workshop. I don't know if that's weird, but.
0: Well, this, well, yes, that, I mean, I'm sure it's fine at the level that you're talking about. But there is, like, something that you said where you were, like, there are many reasons that I thought this was not an undergrad program. Yes. Including the, the abilities and accomplishments of the students, but also like how close he is to the students. And it's all handled like you like this guy, you root for this guy. Like it feels nice and paternal and sort of like, um, one step removed in a way that's okay. Here. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a little bit weird.
1: <laughs> it's definitely a little bit. Yeah. It's a little weird and he's not okay. So he's mm-hmm. relying on them in a weird way too. And it, ha- Yeah. yeah.
0: So anyway, uh then James, we have James's like party trick uh that happens. He comes into the thing and they make him list all the movie oh, suicides. Yeah. Yes. And there's just a line that I love in this where he says he's listing through all these suicides like in alphabetical order and like on this timeline. And then uh there's one where he says, like, they died in a car, and he goes, supposedly it was an accident, but you know, he was distraught. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um,
1: I think that was what I loved. I loved that character, his character in this when I first watched it. And I think that was, pr- that was It's a huge, great. Yeah, yeah, you're like,
0: this person's a weird genius. Um, do you have any party trick knowledge or do you have any friends who do, who can do stuff like do this? Do stuff like that? I worked with a guy and actually Griffin, to bring up Blank Check again, is kind of like, I'm always impressed when they play the box office game with him at the end of those episodes where they'll like say, they they talk about a movie and then they'll, talk about the week that it released like what the top 10 box office movies were and he's really good at it but i worked with a guy who you could give him like a date and he would tell you like what movies were released and how much money they made like oh wow over the past like 30 years like it was just like i wonder what what that
1: space that's occupying where you can't what what can't you do because you can do that (laughs) you know
0: (laughs) um uh in the case of this gentleman, (laughs) what am I thinking was deficient? (laughs) i better not to look at it. But (laughs) um, then we get to the Marilyn Monroe jacket. So um, uh, Michael Douglas sneaks Toby upstairs, shows him that they have this um, jacket that was worn by Marilyn Monroe. And of course, through him listing the movie suicides, we know he has a very passionate interest in old time film. yes. And like the stars of those days Mm -hmm. and specifically ones also who died from pill overdoses. Um, So he goes in and gets to see the jacket that Marilyn Monroe wore on the day she married Joe DiMaggio. And it's like in this safe and it's like this sort of like, you know, it's like glowing for him. And then. He touches it, and you're like, "Oh, Grady Trip is cool" because he's like, kind of risking getting in trouble yeah. to give this kid this thrill. Yeah, so it made me like him. Um, do you have any memorabilia? Uh no. Like, what would be your uh, item like this, or have you ever like encountered something like this, like a specific like historical artifact? I'm something?
1: always surprised when I go to places where they have the the costumes, like at the hall the academy museum uh-huh. and the sizes of people. Everyone's so small. That's interesting. Yeah. He talks about that. Yeah. like Marilyn
0: Monroe had very small shoulders. Yeah. Um, uh, I, um, I don't know that I have one uh, specifically, but I will say that one time I went to a friend's house and he had a pool table that was from the movie, The Color of Money that like, I think Paul Newman and Tom Cruise had played pool. On. Oh, wow. And That's really like, cool. This is so fucking cool. And also when they did one of those Hollywood item auctions, uh, I didn't buy it but i took a hard look and thought it would be funny to buy um jack bowers gun from 24
1: <laughs> it's fake right it's fake. okay
0: <laughs> it's a prop yeah god but it was just like there were all these things that were like what you think of as hollywood memorabilia that it was like jack bowers sig sour side <laughs> we're just <laughs> like this is this is so funny to me that this is like so out of place in this list um, that it just really made me laugh. Uh, um, so anyway, and I was rewatching 24 at the time, which is so good. <laughs> um, have I told this story about working with the guy who was on 24? I don't think so. I worked with a guy briefly who was problematic and, um, rightly, uh, let go of the show. Um, but he came into this show. I was working God and he had worked on 24 and every story we had, he would go, you got to pull the act break up. We'd go, what? He'd go, your oh. act three break? That's your act one break. And you'd be like, we're not going to have enough fucking story to fill it up. Like, it's just, you're just, wow. you're deleting two act like every single one. he would be like, and I was like, this fucking asshole. And then I watched 24 after, and I was like, Son of a bitch did it. Like he walked the walk. You watched the <laughs> this fucking is the it's speed. Like, yeah. The, oh, you know, the pilot is like, there's a nuclear bomb that's gonna go off. And then in like episode eight, the fucking bomb goes up. It's like somebody's gonna shoot the president. They try to shoot the president, like episode six. You're like, you guys have 18 episodes left to make of this season. <laughs> like, but they just pulled the act break up and we're like, we'll figure it out. We'll make something new exciting happen. Um so uh, I had to give it up, although I don't think he was right on the show. So then uh, Michael Douglas gets attacked by the dog. Uh, Toby McGuire shoots the dog.
1: Incidentally, they also changed the name of the dog. Oh, what was the dog? It was like name? Dr. D, I think. <laughs> and and they made it Poe, literary. Poe, you know?
0: yes, yes, because he's um, a literary professor. I think that's probably good. Weirdly,
1: I really don't like no, this is not weird. I don't like when dogs get shot in movies. Well, this one was not that bad. For that's some exactly reason.
0: what I wanted to say. Yeah, this is maybe the most acceptable animal death I've ever watched, and for dogs specifically, not just like an animal being killed, which in general I don't want to see. Right. A dog, a like family dog, and it's like it's so smart and and really a victory. I think I'll give credit to Curtis Hanson on this. You hate the owner. Yes. The owner's relationship with the dog seems to be like he has this pride of having this blind dog who people are saying, there's a little throwaway line you over here where somebody goes, his condition is so sad. And he's like, oh, he gets around. Okay. Yeah, right. So there's yeah. kind of this implication that the dog is suffering. This
1: was a mercy kill on the part of
0: Toby Maguire. And the
1: dog is very ugly.
0: <laughs> it, it, like it's not, you know, it's you don't, you don't love this dog. You see the dog. You love Grady Tripp, who mm-hmm. is a bit of a shaggy dog himself. Uh, and you meet the dog as it's like being very aggressive and threatening to like hurt Grady, who you like.
1: Yeah. And I know. Do-
0: and the dog's ugly. And the <laughs> owner sucks. <laughs> right. And it's, so it's very clear that Frances McDormand doesn't really like the dog. It's like her husband's yeah, thing. Yeah, she's
1: not too attached. Yeah, we learned.
0: And so... When the dog is killed and it is attacking Michael Douglas And pretty
1: badly. There's it's a yeah, good it's bit like fucking up his yeah. ankle
0: pretty bad and that Dobie McGuire shoots it. It's like because I'm somebody who I am yeah, so do you not watch like like Grace will never see John Wick, I think, because the dog gets killed in it. She knows if she knows a dog gets oh, killed, she's just like, You don't have to do but that. But that's
1: like the origins. I, I know no, I'm you okay have with, to do. I'm it in okay that with. I'm okay with that because the whole I he's motivated but by you it. Love which I love that.
0: But it is like I know some people just like skip that scene. Mm-hmm. They know what happened. Yeah. They're not gonna watch.
1: Yeah. They're motivated enough. Um
0: yeah. and I and they just are aware. And I know I always think it's corny when people or I did think it was corny when people were like, I can't watch like this kind of thing. But like and I know it's annoying when I do it now, but I I, I gotta say, like with dogs, I always a little bit that way, and then now having a kid, oh yeah, anything where something happens to a kid, I'm just out. like, and I people will go like, oh, that's that, you know, whatever, that's lame. And I know I annoy my friends with like, I can't watch that because this happens. Which Grace was always like, and I kind of rolled my eyes at her, but now I'm that person, and it's like you just don't understand. Yeah, you, you think about them all day, you deal with them all day, and then you see a kid on screen, you're like watching a movie. Is when I'm not thinking about this. Like, is it? And then, like, you're making me think about it and think about it. What if something bad happened?
1: Right. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. And it's a lot
0: of stories because it's obviously a very powerful motivator. But it's like, you won't believe how many HBO like series that are on where it's just like, whatever it's like oh let's check out perry mason it's like oh, a kid gets murdered oh, and they're trying th- to stop i it. actually turned like, that off i couldn't handle that one show like yeah. all these prestige shows are like something horrible happens to a kid and it rips the family apart i mean I of go, course
1: it's the laziest easiest way to make you care immediately yeah, right it's
0: true but um, at least for now
1: but i don't have kids older, so it doesn't bother annoying. me as much yeah um, uh, <laughs> but with john wick it's great because it's it's a it's a the motivator for the whole thing i don't like it when it's um just, just per, a random yeah, or it just, it just shows happens, that someone's evil people go then it is yeah. kind of lazy
0: like to just be like this person's so bad they kill a dog mm-hmm. um, unless it's the movie Fear he had to do that um, so anyway uh, but
1: yeah they handle this one weirdly well
0: yeah, there's so much physical comedy with is, the dead dog and, and it's it kind of okay it is funny like, yeah. when, like when he shoots him and James goes well I had to yeah. do it and yeah. he goes like he's like I had to I had to right and he goes well you could have pulled him off <laughs> and, <laughs> and like i normally wouldn't like that they're undercutting like this dog didn't even have to die but it's like it's really funny like yeah the it, does. it works great, really well yeah. and he's just like and the kids having a meltdown his handling of him with like not quite kid gloves is so great where he kind of will dig him and be like you didn't have to do yeah, that it's not be, great like, james Fuck it, calm down yeah yeah <laughs> uh his delivery's so good on so many of these. Um, it's it's peak Michael Douglas for me. Um, then we get to Q giving his speech uh, and it's just sort of we go into the auditorium and um, imagine if there was a self-important writer who talked about writing a lot. Mm. What an <laughs> asshole. Um, couldn't be me. So uh, then they're watching it. Toby McGuire has an unbelievable laugh that he lets go. Great on. laugh.
1: I wonder if they did a few different laughs for that. I know,
0: yeah, or if he just was like, I have it. And they were like, then let's get it. Um, Michael Douglas has his first like panic attack. James gets carried out of the lobby and there's a great like, uh, he gets carried out into the lobby and into the bathroom. and um they've he's james who at the when you first see him says like he won't smoke weed because he doesn't want to lose control of his emotions now starts like taking pills and drinking right. with michael douglas and he's so fucked up that robert Downey Jr. is caring about and uh they say is he okay and they go he's fine he's narrating yes and, it, and as he's being carried he goes like they had he, he it was, it so, was embarrassing. so embarrassing yeah. they had to bring him to the bathroom but would they make it in time <laughs> Yeah, great. Like this guy is such a pure writer that when you remove his other faculties, he just starts writing what's happening to him. It's like I, the idea. I
1: love that. And I actually had forgotten they did that. And I think that was one of the reasons I loved that character, too, when I first watched it, because I went through a very short face uh-huh. as like a 10 year old where I had to stop myself from saying she said after I spoke. And I think I was just like I was reading a lot. I don't know. I it, I said it out loud a couple times. I remember and I, it was embarrassing. I grew out of it.
0: I wish you kept it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Um
1: so th- that's who I am in this movie, I think. I'm afraid to say."
0: Oh, that's really cool. Um yeah, I would say that you're you're James. So we find out James has a book. Um Grady is being protective but also maybe a little jealous. Yeah. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, he has a book. Is he any good? And he goes, not yet. <laughs> um, so this is sort of like him feeling competitive. There's also this idea that I was curious about of because you said, and I understand like being proud of some of your students. There's a thing here where it's like Grady has the opportunity to basically get reps for J- like to get him an editor. And I assume like yeah. a book agent too. Have you ever helped someone do this?
1: I have tried, yeah. um, not with my own agent, but I've like tried to connect them to other agents that um, I don't think it's happened yet because it's hard, it's hard to do. But I have referred to some people here and there, although I don't advertise that in class, so I should have said it. No, but like, because, yeah. you know, otherwise, you know, I I did in one case where I felt like the fit would have been really good.
0: And how did um, someone help you get yours?
1: Yeah, um, I had a teacher, I had a teacher, had yeah. a teacher who, my manuscript was my thesis in grad school and he reached out to an agent he knew to see if sh- she liked it. And she said, I like it, but I want to work on it with her. And she willing to edit it. And I said, I will change everything. What, what, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? So yeah, I mean, I think that happens a lot. I mean, otherwise you're sort of,
0: well, somebody has to refer you, yeah. you know, for the most part, like there's no, you can't just like get plucked off the street. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, you do, you, you can too. You can send in like a a yeah, query letter and I do writing. know people I mean, who've now, done that I mean now I
0: guess like there's like whatever you can be on. there was a period where Twitter or like now like, yeah, TikTok or... like people find people and just like yeah. rep them but uh, when I I was at UCB and I wrote these sketches and I went out and I've talked about before I, I, mo- I moved out on like no notice to write for this animated MTV sketch show but there was there were four EPs there who all like knew each other and had been working together and they like told me like when they hired me like they hired me called me up based on like i was submitting um ideas and they were buying a lot of my ideas and they were like do you want to work here and i said yeah and they were like then we were like we have no fucking idea who this is and then they like he was they were like we googled you afterwards we're like finding sketches of yours online oh wow and so i like had no connection to these people and there was one in particular this guy who was very uh i thought very frosty and over the course of the show, I felt like I made friends with a lot of the other people, and this guy was very, you know, um uh he had gone to Harvard and he was seemed to me to be like very smart and reserved, and I was just like, "This guy hates me. Everyone else here likes me, but this guy hates me." and I felt like he gave me the toughest notes on my stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when we were wrapping up the show, he was just like, "You don't have any reps?" And I was like, "No." and he was like, "That's insane." You're so fucking good. Like I'm gonna send you. And he sent me, uh, to two different managers, and one of them ended up becoming my manager and got wow. me. on all, all, But it was just like, uh, really cool. Um, but yeah. it was also funny that it was like this guy who I didn't, um, didn't even know. Like I was just that's like, amazing. This yeah, is the guy who doesn't like me, and then he was just like, here he's you go. Just, and just, he's like, just a frosty guy, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Rob Freed. Um uh he's a very very nice guy and I you know uh he now makes a bunch of different animated shows. Um
1: but everyone everyone gets help in, at some point in that way and
0: yes. I think yes.
1: it's easy to feel like you didn't earn it because of that, you know, but it's just how every, the world works I guess.
0: Yeah. By and no. large. Well, yeah, it was just like but it's like and I've tried to, you know, if whatever if I am working with some there's an assistant or some seems talented to try to be like not that I can get someone wrapped because it's so hard, but yeah, like, I exactly. can at least tell someone they should look at your stuff.
1: Yeah, that and that's um, all I can do to you know, and and yeah. and then that's all that's the most I can do. Yeah, the most I have done.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but I thought it was it was an interesting. Of course, moment yeah.
1: For me. He he, Grady doesn't do a great job.
0: He um, doesn't. No. he he gate Yeah,
1: and in that scene, I think it's really quick. That's when he orders um, a double dickle from Jane Adams. Yes. And um, which I was really excited to see her, and then I realized she actually has a part. I thought yeah. maybe she was just background for yeah. a second. And um, there's a quick shot of Robert Downey Jr. with the now comatose Tobey Maguire, and I think his hands like on him under the table. You can see it just for like a second. Yeah, his hands it's like oh, on his. Oh, this is thigh. so like
0: yes, he lecherous. is. He is um, portrayed as basically a sexual predator who. Yes. they all like. That when he brings Toby McGuire to the bathroom, Francis McDormand is like, "Only you would make that mistake of like to Grady of like letting the two of them go alone, totally, yeah, into another room, and it's like very fucked up." Um,
1: I appreciate that representation in publishing that uh,
0: <laughs> of editors being scumbags. Yeah, you're supposed to like this sort of lecherous cad, and it, there are a lot of scenes where you do like him. Like, you because, do, yeah, and um, I kind
1: of feel like he's a good editor. You know, I don't know. I came away thinking he he was good somehow. I know.
0: Well, my favorite thing, and we'll uh, we'll get to it later. But there's that scene with them in the car where, basically, you start to learn that Robert Downey Jr. is on this trip to Pittsburgh, partially like on the outs in New York, like in the New York publishing world. He's become a complete joke because his only success was Grady's first novel. Right, right. So the fact that it's been seven years since Grady put something out means it's been seven years since he had anything significant happen. And then he says, uh, Grady has learned this and finally just goes like, how bad is it for you? And he goes, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And he says, and "He says, I guess I just don't really fit in with the new corporate culture. And Grady says, what's that? He goes, competence. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, uh, and they both laugh. But it is that thing of the world becoming more corporatized, which I'm sure happened, like, yeah. I think there was more of a swinging, freewheeling attitude around, I'm sure, like all artistic ventures where it's like filmmaking in the 70s was looser than the 80s, looser yeah. than the 90s right, and right, to right. now. And like, have you felt that in your experience, like over your time working in this world of like the constriction uh or like a a more a, a corporatization of like the the business
1: yeah. of writing i i mean it's i think first of all they're probably the sense i get is like a lot of people at publishing houses are kind of bewildered by what breaks out like certain things like you know that certain things are self-published and then become huge and they want to grab at yeah. those and republish them um but i think i'm more aware of it in terms of how the students are in terms of aspiring to publish things i had like one student recently say that she would like to publish her novel with um a trigger warning on the front okay and i never i would never hear of that in another circumstance sure, you know yeah, <laughs> like that's it, yeah it's a new idea to me um mm-hmm. and actually i was like well you know I'll probably make more people want to read it <laughs> you know
0: yeah, it sounds like Chuck um yeah, there are All yeah, these yeah.
1: stories about people vomiting at his readings.
0: Yes. And,
1: you know, they physically couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, things like that. And now and now we're worried about um, triggering someone with that. Well, that's a
0: so. great example. That was like the peak of the like shock value. What? And he was like this, like hyper, like masculine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of thing. was like, sick
1: with my words. Yeah.
0: I'm so <laughs> I'm so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Polite invitation inside my head, warning: you might not like what's in there. <laughs> uh, I, I think about some pretty crazy stuff. Welcome. Having sex and 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 fighting.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> A body getting hurt. <laughs> um. So, imagine. Picture uh, it. Yeah. I mean, he's good. I guess he's good. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I just, I, I know like even in my experience like dealing with executive, like I feel like people have just become more buttoned up and like yeah. I do remember going to pitches not that long, six or seven years ago where like executives would like joke about like wanting to do cocaine with the actor. <laughs> just, oh, like just yeah. like, and it just felt a little more like you could be a party boy uh or girl in the in the scene and that like that is not something you can sort of wear as a badge of honor
1: yeah anymore. i think that's been cleaned up um, a little bit too and i, too think, in this, I imagine in it's similar
0: too. in this that robert Downey junior's character is like a relic
1: of that would that be time. hard to maintain yeah no
0: um so then you whatever they're in the bar uh, this game they play of teach of strangers coming like coming up with backstories for people you see uh, yeah, I can't with it. That's it not pays fun, off. Like it
1: it does, but it's not a fun game to play. Really, I don't it think. just
0: is shown so much in yeah. movies and TV shows, and like I, sometimes people will do a twist on it. But like whenever it's like, what do you, you go first, like what's their story, and they make it up. I go like, I've seen this too much, and I don't. I've never done it.
1: No, I've never done it. <laughs> I think what I think I've thought about it when I'm alone out in public and I think I try and I think this isn't fun. It's
0: too much of a shorthand now for like, these people are creative. Yes. They have good banter. Like, yeah. they like whatever. Um, uh, so I didn't like it, but then <laughs> it actually has value in this movie. So I, I can't,
1: well, be he does. Yeah. He it. comes back. They had to introduce him somehow, I guess.
0: Great line from Rip Torn when they walk out and Toby McGuire like comatose. And he goes, well, this boy could use a nice tall Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, uh, the janitor uh, character, Alan Tudyk, is introduced, yeah. um, takes him, to, gives gives Michael Douglas a ride home and takes him to watch the chancellor in the greenhouse creepily. Um, and that's when we learn that James actually stole the Marilyn Monroe jacket before he shot the dog. Right. Um, you ever shoplift? You ever steal?
1: Um, I was with a friend when she got caught shoplifting at Sephora.
0: Okay, I figured there'd be a story. Everybody has a story, right? <laughs> What happened to her?
1: Um, they let her go. <laughs> they let her go. But um, I cried.
0: <laughs> sure, so. yeah.
1: She she made a really big mistake, though. I think it was when they didn't have um, sensors. Oh, yeah. So she could have probably just walked out with whatever she'd... But she was taking them out of the packaging and throwing the packaging in the trash.
0: Oh, you can't and they
1: were they saw the trash, you know...
0: You can't walk around with the... Yeah. So... I stole a camera battery once from Circuit City. Did you get caught? I didn't. I I was looking at the battery. It was pretty expensive, but I was like, you know, this is when I had like a little camcorder and I was like Mm -hmm. gonna make my own stuff, which I never did. But I like, (laughs) I needed a better battery, of course. And I'm looking at the battery and I realized the packaging was a little bit open. Oh no. I pushed it with my thumb and it just fell into my hand. Ah, free. And I put it in my pocket and I left and I was panicking. I was freaking out. And then years later, I went to make amends. And they didn't know how to deal with me. <laughs> I
1: was like, "Did you bring it I back?" I was like, "I know no, I said, I
0: stole an eighty-five dollar camera battery from you, and I would like to somehow give the eighty-five dollars back to circuits. And they were like, oh, "We don't have a mechanism to deal." With. <laughs> but like, ultimately, I went through some like you know. Customer service manager, return center thing, and was able to give them the money back. they were like, <laughs> "Okay, thanks, but I, uh, I had to goes uh, right in the pocket. I had yeah. to make amends. <laughs> yes, I hope they kept it. Mm-hmm. I hope someone got some benefit from it. I certainly never used. It. I think the battery didn't fit the camera I had when I got <laughs> No. <home. laughs> um. Anyway. Um. So then we have this great reveal that I loved. There's a lot of like mentions, uh, throughout where it's like. Franz McDormand says, like, did you tell him about the book, about the editor? She's like, have you told him about the book yet? And it's like, he's been working on the book and he's going, it's almost done. It's almost done. And it's sort of, I thought, I felt there was a pretty good misdirect that he hasn't been working on a book. It oh, sort of yeah. feels like, or that he's like. When in fact. It's like, it kind of feels like maybe you're going to find out that there is no book or he's just had writer's block and everyone's talking like they think he has writer's block. He has the opposite. Yeah. And there's a really, I thought, good, like visual gag where he has two, six, one at the top of a page. Yes. And then he adds a one. And so it's like he has 2,611 pages of his book written. He's like, the ending is getting further and further away yeah. for him. And he like, as you've talked about, he can't make choices. And he's just like, he's been writing it forever. So it's not that he has writer's block. It's just that he's been writing so much and it's so unwieldy. He can't and it's finish like, it. Yeah, It's such a terrifying idea. And I thought it was like a good sort of twist on what I expected um, that he, he has a book that he, that had he can't end. Yeah. Um, I was curious for novels. Do you think about page count? Like, are you aware of that? Is it something mm-hmm. you deal with? Um, uh, yeah. do you have like an idea when you start? Do you have a target in mind? Do you ever feel like it's getting away from you? Like, how do you...
1: Yeah, I know that that's really common for me. I'm like, I think I write short, not long. So I'm, yeah. I don't usually have it. too. I've definitely searched like, what are the shortest novels? <laughs> like, how short can I make this novel? Like, Great Gatsby, very short, fifty thousand words, maybe.
0: Yeah, very very short. Yeah, that's right. Um, I but love I, a short I, book because it makes me start it.
1: Everyone loves a short book.
0: Well, and it's the same with movies where you go yeah. like the, I mean, a movie being 90 minutes receives so much praise. Yeah. Like uh,
1: I'm so happy. I li- got to get home early. Great movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: So like, yeah, you, but I get why things get long too. Um, oh yeah. And, but I know that in, obviously in writing for TV and, and, and film, definitely in TV, you are so obsessed with like how short it can be and i came from sketch and one of my first sketch teachers was like if your if your sketch hits page 4 i won't put it on stage like you wow. had to find a way to do your thing in 3 pages and, you can, and it was yeah. great like boot camp for me of like of like cutting 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 and so i also at least for a long time felt like i wrote really short mm-hmm. like i was like as condensed as efficient now I indulge a little bit sometimes, <laughs> but I had a, when you're doing rewrites in a room for a show, it's like, it's generally like a minute per page. So you go like, oh, well, I have 30 pages because it's a half hour show. But it's like, well, yes and no, because there are commercials and stuff sometimes too. So it's like, you got to get your thing to like 30 pages or under and drafts are always 36 pages. They're always 36 pages and you always have to find a way to pull it up um, except at Workaholics where they wanted them to be like 25 because they were oh, wow. like they like you could give them a 21 page script because they wanted to improvise so much.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But on most shows, it has to be shorter. And like uh, this is just a writing term I'll teach everyone, which is have you ever heard of? Do you know what a widow's pass is?
1: Oh, yeah. Is that where you bring up all the lines?
0: Yes. Anywhere yeah. that there's a word by itself on a line. You just find some way to pull it up. Like you just can, if you can cut, like if you can change punctuation or an action line or something to pull it up so that it's by, so it's not by itself anymore. And so I had like, there was a writer I worked with who was like very proud of like being good at widow's passes and then my showrunner was like, I hate a widow's pass and he was like, I love a widow's pass. You get the page count right and he's like, but it's not real. You didn't shorten it. Right, true. Technically the numbers are, but but the length of the show will be the same and he's like, we're trying to shorten what we need to shoot and he was like, he was like, you're just gaming it so that like network approves it for production. Yeah, you're but just then, abbreviating the word the because. the problem will occur on yeah. set. Um, and so it was like we're a Using funny, ampersands now. Yes. It yeah. was a funny argument to me that like he could do it. And then I've had the opposite where like, as we're going through it and trying to get the best version of something, my showrunner would be like, can we please not fetishize page count at this stage?
1: Fetishize. And
0: I, and I, it, plays in my head all the time. Like I was just working on something where it was like, it was just getting longer. Like I was like writing a comedy movie and I was like, it should be 90 to 100 pages. And then I was like, as I'm going through it, I'm like, it's going to be over. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be over. And I just had to be like, let's not fetishize page count because it is what you do. You go like, oh, to have the right page count would be so good. <laughs> um, and it's like, you just have to, whatever. I it's it It's important, but, I know it can be two in my head where i'm like cutting before i'm even done figuring out right what it cut is. later yeah yeah um so uh yeah i didn't know in a novel like how much you think about that target but um the other thought i had on this was and i don't know if this comes up for you moving forward through a first pass of something and like as you're doing it becoming aware of how drastic the rewrite is going to be on the earlier Mm. part of it. Like, do you go back and go over something that you've written before you're done?
1: Sometimes, a little bit, yeah, I have. Because I can get stuck
0: rewriting the first 10 pages over and over again every day. Right, right. So I'm kind of like, and I've heard this from a lot of writers, they call it a vomit pass, where it's just like, just get it out, like get it all down. But there is this horrible feeling in your stomach sometimes where you're like writing something and you get to whatever you're on like page 60 and you're writing a scene and you're realizing like, okay, I'm figuring out what this is. But what I am doing right now means that the first 30 pages need to be completely thrown out and redone. Mm -hmm. But if I do it right now, I'll never finish because it'll be a loop. Yes. But it's just like, oh.
1: I think I, I think I do. I'm not good at a vomit pass. I go back.
0: You go back. Oh, I can't I don't, do it. I'm trapped. I don't like because then I start looking at everything. Then it's oh like, yeah. I'm like tweaking wording, and then I'll live in it for days.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's not. I don't recommend it. <laughs>
0: what I do. I but for I guess for a book, it's very different.
1: It's just hard knowing that you're no longer like in the same world <laughs> once you've changed it. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that was something I was curious about for books. <laughs> James says, did I do anything bad after he like comes to, and I just like this line from Michael Nixon goes, you did shoot the head of the English department's dog and steal his most prized piece of memorabilia. (laughs) Um, They uh, take James to the chancellor's house, but they, you know, can't bring themselves to confess. Um, Michael Douglas can't confess to Francis McDormand. And then there's another line I love here where he says, she says, like, why is James in your car? And he goes, I'm sort of helping him through some issues. And she goes, isn't he lucky?
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> she's so great. Um, I mean, it's a good line, but she does it
0: She's well. amazing. Yeah. Uh, also, I
1: think this is at this point, maybe for the rest of the journey, he's in that bathrobe at this point, I think. Yeah. <laughs> His writing bathrobe.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. He's which is a good this is disintegrating
1: thing. before our eyes.
0: Then uh, James is seemingly a pathological liar. We realize that he starts to tell you things about his backstory that Michael oh, yeah. Douglas isn't realizing uh, are probably false. But there's they do a good job of kind of indicating to the audience because uh, Grady Tripp is eyes on the road driving. And you kind of see on Tobey McGuire's face that he's like making the decision to come up with another fiction and mm-hmm. another fiction about like what his... Um, family and living situations he says he's been living in the bus station and like whatever he has to like fight someone for like Curtis will steal my spot or whatever right right yeah the cheese sandwiches that he eats and you're like I think this is fake but what really struck me in this there's a John Lennon song playing in the car and I wonder how much that cost yeah the music is very good Bob Dylan there's two big sequences Bob Dylan Neil Young and John Lennon and it's correct. This is what Grady Tripp listens to in the car. Side note, call it a smart thought if you want. The the song is um, Watching the Wheels, which is a song by John Lennon, seemingly, at least I haven't read an analysis of it, but in my opinion, about him being out of the Beatles and everyone being like, you're crazy. Like, why aren't you like Still doing stuff with the Beatles, you were on top of the world. Oh, that's
1: so clever. Yeah. And he's
0: going, you know, I, I'm out of the game and I'm happier. Like I'm like, I would rather kind of live my life and enjoy it than be in this like, you know, uh peak of entertainment industry, like competitive world that I used to be in. And that is like the Grady trip.
1: This is where he Journey? hasn't gotten to yet. Yes, but that's that where like where yeah, but that is like where he's
0: gonna end up. Yeah, and so it is like a couple things to it. But I can't. I always think about when I hear songs and movies, and that's part of why this movie's fifty-five million dollars. I promise you. Oh yeah, but the music budget is insane. He would have had a much nicer robe. You would when you would write something for like a show, and you would go like, and they're listening to it, like, yeah. and you'd be like, he pulls up in the car, and Easy Lover by Phil Collins is playing, and they'd be like, okay. <laughs> We can get you a B-side of a Limp Bizkit song. <laughs> <Like> they, <laughs> they would just go like, here's a list of 100 songs that we can get for $40,000. The song that you want is going to cost us $800,000. Oh <laughs> and you'd go like, okay. Uh, it is
1: really impressive. They didn't just do someone who sounds like Bob Dylan no, or something. They like, you know? And
0: it's like not, you know, it's just pl- It's just like yeah. ambient. Like it's like yeah, in the is, car. Yeah, that one is, yeah. But um, I did think uh, Curtis Hansen must have really thrown his weight around on this. Like, I made L.A. Confidential. (laughs) Um, Just a production thought. So he goes to uh, his ex-wife's house, who has just left him. His wife left him at the beginning of the movie, um. Uh. we didn't mention but it's part of the first step in like his life is falling yeah, apart she's kind this, of the like, Maris Crane period.
1: of the movie we never we do see a picture she's very pretty
0: you never see yeah but you never, we never see, see her. him interact with her um, he goes to her parents house to like try to find her gets his ankle wound cleaned by her dad mm-hmm. Um. and then there's a great scene I think where uh, or a uh, script trick where the dad says she never came here. She went to Blank's house. And it's the name of a friend of hers. And he has no idea. And he's like, who? And the dad's like, it's like her best friend. She stayed with you for a week. She lived with you. And without ever meeting her, you fully understand their dynamic. Like, you know what his marriage was.
1: Yeah, he's which is fully like, emotionally absent.
0: He's so checked out. He yeah. doesn't know her best friend's name, who she went to stay with. Did didn't just not occur to him to go there. He doesn't know her by name, the person who she went to stay with when she left him. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh,
1: oh, I have a, I have a smart thought for this scene. I yeah. think, um, which is that I noticed um, James Toby McGuire puts on the TV, and it, they're playing um, Dorian Gray, the movie adaptation of Dorian uh-huh. Gray, and um, it's George Sanders speaking, who he mentioned earlier is one of the suicides, one of the suicides, yeah, who also famously left like a very funny suicide note that said like. Dear World I'm I'm leaving because I'm bored. Like yeah. it was very flip and um so there's I, that's probably why they chose it but also I mean if you want to talk about like the arc for Grady um this is like a person who really wants to preserve his beauty or his talent and doesn't you know is yes. stuck in the past he doesn't want to make choices he doesn't want to make changes.
0: Yeah, he won't So evolve. I felt
1: like there were two reasons why they put that movie in and I checked and I don't think it was in the book. I think they put that Interesting, a new thing.
0: I have a small, smart thought about it as we learn, of course, as I said, that he doesn't know um, any of his wife's friends. And uh, I actually uh, realized that I do know my wife's friends, and in and fact, I use them. two of them
1: are on your podcast. This I week. use
0: them to fill content vacuums. <laughs> <laughs> which is like the most noble way to acknowledge them. And then there's also a really, I don't know the actor who plays her dad, But an incredible line delivery where something happened. Grady mentions his book and then he goes, ah, yes, the book. I hope it's really good, Grady.
1: That was such a damning sentence. Yeah.
0: I hope it was fucking worth it. Exactly. And he's he's and it's genuine. Like he's he's not saying it like, fuck you. He's saying, like, if this book's not good, you don't have anything. Right,
1: everyone has suffered for this book.
0: So, like, I, I really, really hope it's good for everybody's sake. Because otherwise, like, what are we doing? Yes, very, very chilling. And I think this scene overall is my wish I wrote it. Um, Mm, I thought it is really good. Yeah, it's sort of like outside. You know, you're not dealing with any of the main characters. It's like the dad of a character who has more impact. So it feels like an extraneous thing, but so much work is done. It holds so much weight. And it's like a really like pleasant, enjoyable kind of yeah. Their backstory scene. feels really built um, in. Yeah, I I, I loved it. Uh, then um, he basically tells James to stop acting like a freak. Uh, and they um, and James says like I'm a freak. That's why all the kids in the workshop hate me. And Michael Douglas says they hate you because you're ten times the writer that they'll ever be. Uh, and I just had the thought of like, is there anything better than a genuine compliment? From a really grumpy guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i mean that that sounds like the guy who got you who helped you get representation you know?
0: yeah somebody withholding i'm a yeah. sucker for this and i may be guilty of being this uh, like somebody who's like so withholding and never shows their cards with any kind of warmth or like compliment. And when they give you one thing, there was this really, really tough teacher at UCB who I thought hated me. And there was like a scene that we did where like, I had the blow to the scene. I had like a button and he was like, okay, that scene was a mess. Like talk to the other people, like you weren't doing your job. And I had walked in off the back line. He's like, basically what happened here was Sean Clement stepped off the back line and wrote a very funny joke on his feet in the moment that saved your scene and made it work. And if you're up there with me, you're going to be stuck there for a lot longer. Because I can't write a joke wow. like that in the moment. And so, like, you're going to be fucked. And it was like... And this guy had been so hard. Had said really mean things about my scene work and other. And so I was just like... it means more then. I hell. It was so meaningful to yeah. me. And so I love this moment where he's heard him basically say that he's not ready because he didn't think he could hear him. And, right. uh, and it was really just protecting himself. And so now he like gets this good compliment and it's like very, um, very powerful. And I, I felt good for James. And then he has another speech um, after this where James says, you said I wasn't ready. He says, what does it matter what I think, what anybody thinks? Most people don't think. And when they do think, it's not about writing. Books, they don't matter. Not anymore. Not to anybody. What do you think about that speech as a book writer?
1: I I get it. Yeah. I I've, I've said it. Yeah, I think in in moments.
0: It's funny that it's coming from essentially. I mean, Michael Chabon, who's like one of the only people who I know. Books, yeah, it feels like they 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 would feel like they do matter. But as we said, he's doing other stuff. Just kind of sad. It's and, funny
1: though that he says that, and he's a teacher, because I feel like the most evidence I ever experienced that the, these things do matter is when you are around students who are very enthusiastic about yeah. it and then it makes you like a lot less cynical. Sure. Um, although then I guess time passes and they don't become writers and then you go back to that first feeling. So.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting Hard. having you as a novelist here and I feel like also I should talk to a musician at some point because I feel like as like the film and television industry is in this like uh, moment of tremendous crisis and there are these strikes. And it's like that the product that we make has been so thoroughly devalued that um, they no longer want to compensate uh, yeah. people for it because because they destroyed the value of it. Um, <laughs> right. And that that happened already uh, or to some extent in happened these other in, in these other industries. Yeah. And I... Don't I think with music I was so aware of it, but like I don't think I even really thought about it as much with with books where it's like yeah. it just got you know it got gutted. Really <laughs> um, bad, yeah.
1: Especially and some probably of it's the cultural, literary... but
0: some of it is like the yeah. the like conglomerates who run it. Um, he summons James's parents, sends him away, reads his book. Uh, Neil Young is playing. Do I get this soundtrack?
1: I think so. It's really good. I it wonder is, if it's it is available. Really
0: uh shout out the neil young album on the beach um uh this song's not on it but i love it uh so he comes (laughs) home to a party um katie holmes is reading his unpublished novel um she's just like in his room she's like so thirsty for him she's trying to (laughs) sleep with him the whole time you had said in a more realistic version of this movie, they would have. I think
1: so. Hooked up. I think the the only reason they they have not hooked up in this movie is so that the audience still feels empathy for Grady, right? That that would be crossing some kind of line that we have for fictional characters. But
0: what's established about the character is they say like he goes, "My wife left me," and they go, "You'll find another one. You always do." Like yes. it's like he says, "Like I've had other wives," and they go, "And they're always young and they're always beautiful." There's an implication here that this. She's Katie Holmes-type figure would normally be his next wife and that we are meeting right. him at a crossroads. She is literally
1: already living in his house.
0: She's living in his house. She's li- been living with him and his wife. He's been having this affair with Frances McDormand, who is a woman of substance um, and, like, Katie appropriate.
1: Katie Holmes is, too, but not appropriate.
0: Yes, not, not age-appropriate for him. And he would in every other like chapter of his life have just like turned his back and gone to Katie Holmes. But the fact that he's found out that she's pregnant, the fact that his wife's loved, the fact that his book editor is here for this conference of words, and he's like looking down the barrel of like, uh, you know, what the rest of his life is in like a really substantial way is like, this is the time when he would not do it. Yes. He is a guy who would do it. Yes. But I don't think that it is just to protect the audience. I think it is like actually symbolic of like he's he's experiencing a change. He's experiencing a shift. He is making a choice which he has not been able to do, like where it's like in his book, he hasn't been making choices like he's just been kind of like taking all comers um, in terms of his ideas and women and everything else. And now uh, we're going through this other thing.
1: Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that is what is happening. He is changing. But I would just also, as like a devil's advocate, say she's also the person who tells him what's wrong with his book. Yes. Which maybe that, is not a turn on uh, for that's him. That's a
0: boner killer. <laughs> <laughs> um, major boner killer. Um, so, I mean, that's what you're trying to say, Julia. Let's just say it. In so
1: many words. Yeah. Um,
0: so, yes. Then she does tell him about his book. And that he it's so long because she says, you know, you're always saying that writers have to make choices. It feels like you didn't make any choices. There's like the great specifics of like you give the genealogy of all the horses. um,
1: Dental records. uh, Yeah. Yeah. You can just immediately see why this is over 2000 pages.
0: Yeah. Have you ever had someone make uh, an observation? I guess that editor has done it to you make when they said, like, what about the hole under the rug? Yeah make an observation about your style or your voice that was like sort of like chilling just to have an outside person like yeah. nail something you didn't realize about yeah. yourself.
1: Yeah, and then you do end up trusting them or I guess he didn't really in yeah. in this case um, for her. Well, he does. He, he does, but agrees. he's in, he, the, in the moment he reacts back But that's so real to me
0: of like, that's of me too. Like in the moment that I get a really accurate note that means like that I have to do a lot of work. I'm like, oh yeah, no. And then I go home and I sit down and I go, but I'll be like, you idiot. Like, you don't even see what's there. Like, mm-hmm. and then I go like, that's fucking goddamn it. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm so annoyed that I have to do it and that they saw it and I didn't see it. Um, there was an intern at UCB when I used to do an improv show every week who I found out did an impression of me doing improv. And then he did Whoa. it once and I saw it and it was like. Just little mannerisms I had on stage that's that I so did not wild. know, and it was like very sort of chilling to like see like
1: was it to, was it announced that's that that's what he was doing or yeah he said yeah. they
0: were like um they he he was he had been the like intern at the show for a year and seen us every Sunday night and watched our shows and had a little impression of like each of us doing improv but the one of me wow. Like, was very accurate. Um, and I was like, oh, I didn't know I did that, but that is what I do, um, which is just a funny thing that she kind of nails him on. Uh, he calls and tells Walter uh, that he's in love with Frances McDormand uh, in the middle of the night. Um,
1: he has the most placid response, basically, Walter.
0: Um, but Yes, that's right uh and then like the great the great 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 Francis mcdormand delivery where he she says did you call my house last night he says yes she goes what did you say and he says i told him i was in love with you and he says did he tell you and she says yes and he says what did you say and she says told him it didn't sound like you Mm -hmm. uh so really good dialogue too and
1: really well done oh
0: maybe that's my wish i wrote it oh that's (laughs) so good i said it didn't sound like you so fucking good um then uh, I wanted to know from your perspective how real the idea is of an editor reading a college kid's book that was just in their bag, which Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. does, and just going, I'm going to publish this.
1: Yeah, I. it's not. I wouldn't see it a lot. I actually thought it was funny even in the beginning when he first says like, hey, he's got a book like yeah. it, Robert Downey Jr. says that as if like Everyone doesn't have a book, on someone you know right. that he encounters. That,
0: he has a book. He has yeah, because yeah. he has a finished. Someone book. has a book. He has a finished book at Michael yeah. Douglas. Someone conference. has an unpublished yeah. book.
1: Um, it does not. It seems that happens a lot. They would probably get that a lot. Yeah. Um And he's an undergraduate, but but I guess because you know, he's Danny Junior is genius. so hard yeah. up too. He's he really want. He's come here hoping for a manuscript.
0: I was just wondering because like it is I've talked about a little bit like it's not really the truth in the industry in my experience anymore like it like it used to be like whatever you watch this documentary overnight that i might talk about on the show at some point but like you know harvey weinstein read a script and was like you're a director now you're going to get to direct and make your own movie like this script is good and that like a spec script that just is written and can just like go out there and someone can read it and be like now you're a big deal and it doesn't really happen anymore mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of the way they've structured, the way things are purchased and developed and all the people who are in place who, if you can write a script without them getting their fingerprints on it and shepherding it for you, their job shouldn't exist. And so I do feel like it has created more obstacles to anyone ever reading right, a right. script and that going, this is done. Yeah, People read the script and go, okay, maybe I can help you turn in this into something that is done. But that it used to be, someone might read it and go, this is done. And I wondered in the book world if it was more possible still. Yeah,
1: I'm sure he'll want to edit it, um, Danny Jr. will. But I think also, I understand too, I think this is still true in the world of like, The idea of finding the youngest possible novelist. Yes. And saying this is the newest baby voice. They they learned to read last week and here it is.
0: My discovery. The fact that it's my discovery is part of it too. I remember
1: when Sally Rooney's first book came out, I think maybe even second book, like the first thing in her bio was the year she was born. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's, which, which, you know,
0: it's important. Yes. Yes. There's a real uh it's it's it's
1: important for marketing i have spoken about
0: and i never had this problem because i didn't even start doing fucking improv until i was like 25 but it is tough if you brand yourself as the young (laughs) (laughs) that i just see a lot of people do it and it's like and they get a lot of traction off it but like Mm -hmm. if everything goes well yeah you will still turn 30 (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: like
0: it's gonna happen um so be prepared um uh it's one of my favorite tweets of yours sean is shouldn't really regretting branding myself as quote unquote the really young guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's exactly yeah
0: i see it a lot and like then you're gonna be have the old really and young their, guy like, yeah. bio, mm-hmm. and you're like well okay i mean it is impressive it's impressive to do things that is and every age, single
1: but... person older than you Hates you a little bit.
0: Yes, yes, yes. It's a little bit okay. <laughs> great. Uh shouldn't it be impressive what you did regardless of your age? Um, <laughs> look at how old this person is. does not the quality be what we talk about? Um so I don't ask to be graded on a curve. Um so the, the <laughs> except somebody please give me a curve. Yeah. Um so then uh yeah, she so after she tells him basically that he should stop smoking weed because like he can't focus, there is also like the sadness of like him pulling rank on a student. Um, and then uh, he is very reject, he's very upset about the idea of not smoking weed anymore, too. Cause he was like, I smoked weed during my first book, which everybody loves. And I do think that similar to like getting a note that you maybe should take mm-hmm. and not being able to deal with it at first. Um, he has this very bad reaction kind of because she might be right that yeah. it's hurting him. Um, do you ever write under the influence of anything? Do you ever? I mean, Hemingway said, Write drunk, edit sober, uh, yeah, and, and he's doing good, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, do you? I guess I you can talk about that, but what I'll say is, I obviously I'm sober, but I do still have some ways that I really want to control my environment. Like, I think that's part of it with him of like, I smoke weed and I do that. Like, just like when I have my coffee, what you know, what kind it is like, what the room looks like, the amount of light, all that stuff like to get into writing mode that you feel like you need to be in control of all these other factors. It's almost like superstitious. Um, And I think that's why he doesn't want to let go of it. And that's
1: dangerous for it to get so superstitious because then one thing is off and you go, well, I guess I'm not going to write today. I guess I can't do it.
0: Yeah, because I don't. Yeah, the amount of time that you have when you're starting, what you've done before when you eat, what you eat, all that stuff. Um, yeah. If you put too much importance on it, it becomes an excuse for why you can't do something or why something's not coming out well.
1: Yes, I think I have tried having like a drink, well, writing because of Hemingway, pretty uh-huh. much. <laughs> and I get sleepy. So it doesn't okay. it doesn't go great for me. Um. So I can't really write that way. I just get, I just really want to lie down. And then I'll say, well, why can't I bring my laptop into the bed to write? Why shouldn't I be comfortable,
0: yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I
1: think Edith Wharton wrote in bed, sure. um, so hey, um, but no, it doesn't work out well for me. Um, and then i yeah. tr- I've tried to be less precious with I used to go to the library to write when I was in New York, and I always like there was there were like two desks I liked, and if they were taken, I was like, pretty upset about it. You know, there were like certain things I really wanted to be right. And now I've tried to almost sort of fool myself into writing. Like I don't even notice I'm starting writing. Ease into it. Maybe I still have like a web browser open for X, Y, or You know, I, I'm, I'm going yeah. back and forth and before I know it, I'm writing. But I, I, I it's like fooling myself into getting comfortable enough to do it um, now. Sounds traumatizing.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I have I I, I have two th- two differing ideas about it which is like it is something where like it is nice to feel like there's a routine attached to it yes. because it is you are just kind of in the abyss mm-hmm. so being like i'm making my little box that i'm going to is like good but if you're too reliant on it then like it's like uh as we said it becomes something where like a way, it's a way for you to not do it yeah to, to be like well things aren't perfect so i won't um you should be able to write anywhere. I'm going to start something right now. In... Um, (laughs) He finds his car that has been stolen uh, earlier um, and that we know uh, belongs to the guy who who they were making up the backstory about. we're
1: calling Vernon.
0: Yeah, they call him Vernon. Um, uh, Ula discovers him in the car. That's Jane Addams, who he ordered the double tickle from. uh, then the manuscript goes everywhere. His two thousand pages go all Scattered, over the street. The
1: only copy.
0: Yes, the yeah. only copy that he has. Have you ever lost a file, like or like an important document or like a scribbling?
1: Um, definitely lost like notebooks, yeah. and things like that. But probably weren't very good anyway. So it's not. I've I... had
0: phrasings of things or like ideas. Even for the podcast, I've been like, I want to talk about this, and I'll like write it down or like I know when we used to do our opening stories for this, I'd be like. Mm. Oh, oh, this is what I want to talk about. And then like would would not know where I put it, what it was and just like totally lose it in the moment. Um, yeah. Uh, now we
1: have the cloud.
0: We have the cloud, but I know that like I, when I got a new laptop once, I gave someone my old laptop Ooh. and like, then there were files on, there were like scripts that I had done on it that I realized usually now when I'm working on a script, I email it to myself. Mm-hmm. Um
1: I've done that just yeah. so it
0: lives somewhere mm-hmm. off the computer um and uh I'll email each draft at the end of the day but th- this was before I had gotten in that habit and there were a couple things that I lost that were like finished scripts that um uh, I either have like a very old PDF of or something that I like know oh, yeah. changes from, and you can't take PDF to Final Draft.
1: Like uh, you'd have to retype. It,
0: you have to reformat so much of it. So like so, I've but had does stuff this like person that.
1: have it? Who's who has yeah, the laptop? Yeah, I think I
0: was able to get like something, but not everything off of it. When like when I got it back, but I think this person have, like, was not now publishing
1: out. your 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 old scripts good luck under to their them name. If they do,
0: good <laughs> luck to them. Um, I'd love to see my voice get it's due. Um, uh, It just
1: took another person shopping it around.
0: Um, So then we have the like, uh, you can't teach writer anything scene. Then um, he finally uh, makes a choice. He chooses Sarah, Francis McDormand's Mm -hmm. character. He like does do it. I wrote down The Loneliest Prawn is a great title. I did that. Yeah. I wrote
1: that down too when I saw it. It's so funny. It's
0: somebody's kid's it's a book. The children's yeah, book it's that was sold during yeah. the weekend. Yes, the Loneliest yes.
1: Prawn. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, so, anyway. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, he has that scene with her. He goes into the auditorium where we've been talking about whether or not James is going to go to jail for stealing Marilyn Monroe's jacket and what the consequences will be. And everyone is clapping for James when they come in because the dean is announcing or whatever that like um or the head of the English department rather is announcing that James is going to be published because Robert Downey Jr. is has like taken his manuscript and it's like going to be this big success story for the college. And you go like, oh, that's pride, how he got yes. out of trouble. that pride you can of the hang school. it on this. Yeah, Pride of the School and then there's an addendum, which is that he also is going to have his book about Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio published. Yeah. And it's like how much of this horse trading takes place in the publishing oh world God, because it feels so real to the TV thing where it's like this, whatever, this important person can get this favor done for this other person, and that's the only way. So much of like what you see or what gets announced is being sold is just part of like this really complicated system of favors. It's
1: all backscratching, yeah,
0: and has nothing to do with the quality of anyone's writing. No. Now, James's book may be very good, and we're told basically that it is. Yes. you know, like, but that's not why this is happening in this moment, and his book. Is probably bad. It's probably but very bad. That's not going to stop it from being made. No. Um And so, and then I you're did. like,
1: oh, that's why he's happy. That's why this is okay.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I love that. Um, and then, uh, my, my old boss would talk about how executives would leave, like if they worked for whatever. Let's say they worked for Warner Brothers. They'd work there for eight or nine years. Then they would leave and they would start working for some producer. So we'll just pick. It's like, you know, whoever. Um, uh, We'll say it's like Ryan Murphy or someone. So it's like they leave Warner Brothers, they go to work for Ryan Murphy and then Ryan Murphy will sell six shows to Warner Brothers over the following year. And it's like, they're friends. This executive (laughs) who was just like, and Ryan Murphy is a bad example because he can do whatever he wants. But like, it's just like, this person is just going into all of their friends who they just spent every day with for eight years and being like, "Hey, you want to do something together?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's do something together." It's like it has nothing to do with the idea. It has nothing to do with the writer, the It's just like we should find something. <laughs> um, and it's just like a very funny thing that I have since noticed and been able to track. Yeah, it, ha- like, it happens. Oh. there.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's always happened, but. Yeah you don't know about it from back then. We don't know about those relationships. We know about these relationships. And so suddenly it seems like something's
0: something's broken. And it's like, this exec is a great producer. And it's like, well, they're selling to the people they like. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, and they are. I mean, you should leverage those relationships, but it's just a funny thing that you wouldn't see otherwise. Um, Then uh, we have our big moment, the denial of the ganja. Um, Oh, yeah. He decides to give his weed to the janitor. Maybe Alan Tudyk's overplaying the moment of getting half an eighth of shake thrown at you. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Um, Then uh, Michael Douglas writes his book. He almost falls. He almost falls over the, he almost falls. And I had a moment
1: of like, does he? I don't remember. Does he fucking fall?
0: No, he would die. Um, (laughs) Is he going to get caught? He's going to
1: wake up in a full body Um, cast.
0: He doesn't fall. He never has an episode again. He's chosen the right woman. He's chosen to stop smoking weed. He writes a book that we agree doesn't necessarily Does not sound, sound like it's that good about the experience. He has a baby. Um, so it's like he has this nightmare. White leaves a manuscript destroyed, like loses his job, all of that. But it has set him free to have the life right. he's supposed to have. And now... He's just sitting there watching
1: the wheels go round and round. (laughs) In the most stunning cabin in the woods. It looks very nice. With floor to ceiling windows.
0: And that's white privilege. (laughs) Uh, um, So uh, thank you so much, Julia. Is there anything else? um, That was the movie. Is there anything you want to talk about or plug or other Um, observation? What was your wish I wrote it? uh,
1: Probably I wish I wrote... James Lear's manuscript because yeah. that would probably be useful for me. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's better. Yeah, I bet yeah.
1: it's probably pretty good. I like yeah. the title, "The Love Parade." Sounds, yeah. sounds Richard Yatesy. Um, the
0: English department had getting the title wrong is like a oh a yeah, what's he called? Like this guy, the lovely the parade. Lovely parade. <laughs> yeah. Just like,
1: yeah, I know. You just know. hate
0: him, and that's like fucking get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. What else? Anywhere we can find you? Anything? You want to promote or you rather just leave it alone?
1: I'm just going to leave it alone. Thank you so
0: much for coming. Uh, <laughs> thanks. thanks, Julia. Thanks for tuning in to Wife Guy Week on Subtitles On. And um, keep uh, reading those movies. <laughs>